Uh, Yahoo Instant Messenger, too. I almost always forget about that. But, yes, that is another way that you can contact me directly. So if you want to do that, that's one way to do it. You can also email me, but you'll be happier, I'm pretty sure, with the response from the Yahoo Instant Messenger, or not the response necessarily, but the timing, you know, how long it takes to get back to you. All right, well, I've got a a screen loaded with stuff, okay? Oh, so let's just start over here at the beginning. Oh, there was something here that I had to, uh, I, I'm just, it's just the headline. Where is it? Oh, here it is. <laughs> Oh, man. McDonald's tries hip with quinoa and asparagus. Woo! If that doesn't get people piling in the doors at McDonald's or what, hey, who hasn't been walking around and thinking, you know, what the world is really missing is fast food asparagus. Yeah, that's that's what we don't have enough of. That's what I'm missing. Man, good luck with that. What do they got? Uh, you know, morons working McDonald's, you know, running McDonald's? Anyway, that to me was funny. That <laughs> quinoa and asparagus. All right, here we go. Now, listen. Remember, oh, I don't know, for years, I've kind of been mentioning, and other hosts have mentioned it too, that look... If everybody in America, any time somebody says, hey, we're charging you with whatever, traffic ticket, hey, guess what? The answer is not guilty. I do not waive my right to a speedy trial. Let's do this. If everybody did that, it would bring them to a screeching halt. And people might go, oh, my gosh, that would be terrible. That would bring the whole system to a halt. Yes, it would. And then you know what they'd have to stop doing? They'd have to stop charging everyone. They'd have to get back to the business of justice and only charging people who are hurting other people. Not, oh, hey, you know what? We wrote something down, and you're not doing it, so we have to punish you now. No, no, screw that. If I haven't hurt anybody or stolen, well, that is hurting people when you take their stuff. You don't injure people or damage their property or their rights. Hey, guess what? Back off. I don't care if you wrote it down and I'm not doing it. See, all we have to do is say not guilty, everybody. Okay, you may say, well, yeah, that's a nice idea and it's a thought. But here's U.S. Chief Justice John Roberts. And folks, if I sound like I'm shivering, it's because I am. It is freezing in here. I don't know what the deal is. It's getting cold and windy out, and the wind just blowing the cold right on in here. But it doesn't usually go like this. I mean, it's usually warm enough in here, but not tonight. Anyway, U.S. Chief Justice John Roberts urged trial judges on Thursday to manage cases more efficiently and advised lawyers to avoid antagonistic tactics as he focused his annual year-end report on federal rules intended to speed up litigation. 
folks, you know, we all look at this and we go, oh, isn't that nice? They're trying to be more efficient, speed up litigation. No, they're trying to get you in jail faster. They're trying to empty your pockets faster. They're trying to move more through the slaughterhouse faster is what they're doing. Folks, this is against your best interests. We need to do everything we can to slow them down, not let them get speeded up. In an otherwise dry recounting of new pretrial procedures, Roberts cited the country's history of settling disputes with dueling pistols, including Alexander Hamilton's 1804 death at the hand of Aaron Burr. And I say, good for Aaron Burr. Alexander Hamilton was nothing but a shill for the Bank of England. He invokes such duels, largely outlawed by the mid-1800s, as a reminder of the need for sound rules for peaceful resolution of disputes. The judiciary's amendments to the federal rules of civil procedure, effective on December 1st, have drawn little public attention beyond the bench and bar. They are intended to expedite the early stages of litigation, streamline the process by which parties exchange information, and ensure preservation of electronic communications that could become evidence. The rules affect first, uh, let's see here, what is this? The rules affect the first of the three-tier judicial system, U.S. district courts. Above are the regional appellate courts and the nine-justice Supreme Court. Roberts said judges should more actively manage cases from the outset rather than allowing parties to dictate the pace of litigation. Wow. He suggested that lawyers often try to wear down their opponents and implicitly advise against antagonistic tactics, wasteful procedural maneuvers, and teetering brinkmanship. <laughs> so, yeah, let's just, you know, let's just uh, monkey this down to a banana court to where, uh, you know, the kangaroos just uh, hop up and down and everybody goes to jail. Wee! FBI, they're on the case, boy. Oh, yeah, they don't care about, you know, their lab. They don't care about Hillary Clinton's emails. They don't do that. But, no, the FBI in Las Vegas, they're on the, uh, they're on it, man. They're offering a $5,000 reward for information that helps them find the person who put, get this, Raw bacon on the door handles of a Las Vegas mosque. <gasps> Raw bacon? Oh my God, it was a bacon attack. Thank goodness the FBI is on it. We can't have these random bacon attacks, can we? Oh my gosh. Thank goodness the FBI said in a statement Wednesday that agents are trying to find a man seen in a surveillance video putting the meat on the entrances of the... Majesty Itawid Mosque. Authorities call it desecration of the Islamic Worship Center. Really? A little bacon? I wonder if they would do the same thing if bacon was put on a Christian church handle. Do you think? No, they wouldn't. So the FBI is now enforcing religious law? Is that right? 
Because is putting a piece of bacon on, uh, let's say, your neighbor's house, their door handle, or a Christian church, or a Hindu church, or uh, a school, or anywhere else, is it is it some sort of crime to put a piece of bacon on a handle? I mean, I could see putting razor blades under a handle that cuts people's hands when they go to open the door. You know, that's, you're injuring people now. But bacon? Oh, gee, I got some grease on my hand. Let me go wash it off. You're not injured. So is the FBI enforcing Islamic law? Is that what they're doing? And it's not just them. It's the Las Vegas police, too. Oh, it's a hate crime. Yeah, a bacon hate crime. Las Vegas police spokesman Larry Hadsfield uh, said the bacon was wrapped on the doorknobs and was also found on the ground and on fences. You know, really? So they're investigating this as a possible hate crime? Folks, bacon is not a weapon. Bacon is not dangerous. I mean, unless you eat it, you know, then it's probably going to jam up your, you know, arteries pretty good. But, uh, hey, other than that... Bacon is is not a problem for anybody but a stinking Muslim, which is, hey, this is part of their religion. So is the FBI and the Las Vegas police now going to start enforcing Sharia law? Because that's what they're doing. Because if wrapping bacon on a handle of somebody else's house or a Christian church or a hospital or somewhere else isn't a crime, then why is it a crime to do it at a Muslim mosque? Because their religious law forbids bacon? So the FBI is, in fact, going to start enforcing religious law for the Muslims. Wow. Hey, I don't know, man. I think we should be pissed off about this. Okay, and they're giving $5,000? Who's, hey, where'd they get that $5,000 from? Whose $5,000 is that? And they're going to give it away to somebody just for, uh, what, snitching out somebody who put bacon? Look, I get the whole Muslim thing. You know what? If you don't like it, you know, hey, we're dealing with people here, all right? So we're saying, oh, yeah, you're scared of bacon? Well, here's some bacon for you. Oh, boy, there you go. It's a hate crime. Oh, but isn't it's not a hate crime to tell people that, well, you're going to have to either convert to a Muslim or Islam, or we're going to chop your head off. That's not a hate crime? Really? We better get our head out of our behind and start realizing who we're dealing with here. Now, I'm not saying that 
the Islamic world, the Middle East, doesn't have a real good reason to hate America and to hate Americans? Because they do, folks, whether you like it or not. They have a very good reason to hate every last one of us. Because we have sat here and allowed our psychopathic government to run around their neighborhoods, killing their people, destroying their governments and their countries. We let that happen. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, we let that happen. And the psychopathic government went around the world doing this crap in our name. We're doing this for the American people. We represent the American people. Hey. I get why they hate us, but I don't care. You know, that's too bad. But, oh, but you're you're not allowed to hate them back? That's a hate crime? Really? So somebody can hate on me and tell me if I don't start doing things their way at my house, in my country, that they're going to chop my head off and kill my family. That's not a hate crime, but for me to put bacon on a handle of one of their stinking mosques, that's a hate crime? Pfft, man. We, you know what? You need to start looking at these things with a little sense. I'm not saying the guy that wrapped bacon on the handle didn't know what he was doing and didn't do it because he hated these people. Maybe he does hate them. So what? They hate us. They hate us. We hate them. Well, wait a minute. But when we hate them back, it's a hate crime. When they hate us, it's just religious freedom, right? Is that how it works? And the FBI is going to back this up? Great. Just great. Well, here we go. Eh, I like science fiction, so I guess I'll read you this. It's not science fiction, actually. I mean, it... The European Space Agency just reminded the world that it wants to build a base on the moon by 2030. Yeah, using 3D printed parts from materials found on the lunar surface. The ESA, that is the European Space Agency, has some competition. Earlier this month, Congress passed a spending bill that would give NASA $55 million to build a space habitat for deep space exploration, including both the space within the moon's orbit, and eventually Mars. The only catch, NASA has 180 days to show what it's going to be. It's a global space race to live on the moon. About 26 nations want to figure out what's what's that going to look like. Well, I'll tell you what it's going to look like. It's going to look like burning to death in the Van Allen belt. That's what it's going to look like, okay? You might be able, you know, if you could somehow get to the moon, you might be able to build stuff and live there if you could stay out of the radiation. Because you got to understand, folks, the moon doesn't have an atmosphere like the Earth does. And that atmosphere is the only thing. You know, everybody thinks, well, yeah, the atmosphere holds the air in here that we breathe, and if it's gone, we'll all suffocate. Well, if the atmosphere left... You wouldn't have to worry about suffocating because you'd be burnt to a crisp. Okay, that is what protects us from the solar radiation. You know, you'd be gone if the if the uh, atmosphere went away, burnt to a crisp. 
Look at the moon, for crying out loud. You, you want to know why it looks like that? It looks like that because there's no atmosphere. That's how the Earth would look if there was no atmosphere. Why does it look like that? Why does nothing grow there? Well, it's not just because there's no air. It's being bombarded with solar radiation. It's insane, but... Yeah, NASA already uses a 3D printer that's able to print in a vacuum. It can build tools and little bits and pieces of the International Space Station that would otherwise be tremendously expensive to send. If the walls or even the entire structure could be built on the moon instead of being shipped, we could have pretty large structures. Yeah, if you got robots up there to build it all for you, and that's really where they're going to have to go, folks. They're not mentioning it here. This is all about 3D printers and how they're going to go about doing this and yada, yada, yada. Okay, but you still got to get there. Okay, you still got to get there, and that's a real problem. Okay, that's the problem. Going through the Van Allen belt and getting out to the, uh, you know, the radiation of space is a problem for flesh-based entities like people. Now, you could send robots there and they could build the whole thing and then they could live there because how are you going to get there? In your lead spaceship? Man, you know, but hey, we're not going to tell anything about that because, well, we got a whole, uh, you know, NASA trip to the moon hoax, you know, to keep perpetrating. We can't possibly tell you the truth about that. Well, if we actually would have left, you know, the Van Allen Belt or went through it, we'd have, you know, they'd all been dead in their little tin can. You ever, you ever, well, I, I don't know how many of you are back east have been to the Smithsonian uh, Museum there in Washington, D.C., but they had one of those capsules, one of those space capsules. I actually got to look at it, and I, I don't, yeah, we even walked through it. Uh, well, we didn't walk through it because it's not big enough to walk through, but you, like, got to stick your head in the door and look around in there. Hey, this thing is an aluminum can. I mean, I'm serious. This, you know... This isn't going to be big enough to protect you from that that radiation, man. You know, and they have to make it light to get it get it going, but I don't know. We'll find out one of these days. Let's see, what else do we have? Oh. Yep. Now, this 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 headline was Oil is cheaper than uh, bottled water. Yeah. Petrol may still be cheaper than bottled water in Saudi Arabia, but the hiking of fuel prices by two-thirds this week is nonetheless a radical departure in a country that for decades has traded economic handouts for political loyalty. Well, looks like the House of Saud is going to be... pretty much killed here pretty soon because there is no way the Wahhabi are going to let them live if they they stop the handouts. I'm serious, man. It's the only thing keeping them from it's the only thing keeping them from being killed as it is. 
the Wahhabi are a very uh, strict Muslim sect, and uh, they, the House of Saud is a bunch of perverts, okay? They don't follow the Book of Islam or, or the Bible or anything else. They, they're, they're pedophile psychopaths. These are some of the most just decadent people on the planet. Now you got to wonder, well, why would a strict, why would strict Muslims allow somebody like that to be the your royal family? Well, because they keep the money rolling. That's why. All right, let's see. Saudis rush to petrol stations across the kingdom hours after the government unveiled a radical austerity program on Monday, hoping to fill their tanks before prices rose. Higher quality 95-octane 95, 95 petrol increased by 50 cents by 50% to 24 cents a gallon. Yeah, this is what it jumped to, okay? It jumped to 24 cents a gallon. Oh, are we crying for the Saudis yet? Gee, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm shocked. It skyrocketed all the way up. And this is for, this is for high test. This is for 95 octane. Skyrocketed at twenty four cents. Huh. Wow. Let's have a moment of silence for the Saudis. Their and their their demise. There, poor them. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. We're paying what two dollars and twenty five cents a gallon for for waste product, and the Saudis are are complaining because it skyrocketed to twenty four cents. Oh, man. Oh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a bit.
All right, welcome back all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Thursday, December 31st, 2015. It's about 8.43 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. That's when it is where you're at. We are live, which means you can call in 800 932 You can hop in the pile of people in the uh chat room, which is located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the chat link. It's real easy. Everything else you need to know about the network is on that site, and you can also contact me directly through Yahoo Instant Messenger. My screen name is AVRN Talk. The room got both songs. One was the Tractors. One was the Honey Drippers. There you go. So, let's get back to the things and stuff here. Puerto Rico is going bankrupt. Did you know that? Yeah, $8 billion in interest payments. And they're going to be able to make most of that, but not all of that. And they've got real problems, and it's not getting any better. What exactly does Puerto Rico produce? Well... Nothing. Rum? Well, so what? Rum is comes from all over the place. Puerto Rico has a, a real problem. Uh, apparently, they haven't gotten into the whole Hawaiian idea of, hey, you know, if we make this place a nice place rather than some Latino scum bucket, tourists would actually come here and drop lots of money. But no, they don't. They're Puerto Ricans, see? Well, now they're going bankrupt. Now, which means a lot of their bonds won't get paid. Okay, they sell bonds, and now they got to pay it back, and it's uh, not going to happen. Okay, it's just not going to happen. They don't have the money. Uh, of course, their failure in their bonds isn't really going to mess up the bond market, which is like a $3.7 trillion municipal market. So, you know, that isn't really going to do it. But, you know, Puerto Rico doesn't stand alone in this. Illinois, New Jersey, they're struggling to balance their budgets and cope with large debts. And here we go, underfunded pensions. Okay, even them are in better shape than Puerto Rico. Now, if they get in more trouble, it's going to be a way bigger deal for the wider market than Puerto Rico is. But Puerto Rico is going down. They're going to end up just bailing them out. You know what the United States needs to do? They need to cut Puerto Rico loose. They need to say, listen, you know what? We're giving you your independence and... uh Hasta luego, see you later, have fun, good luck, goodbye. Cut them loose, man. Of course, you know, the IRS will have to find a new place to live, but hey, I'm sure somebody will take them in. Now, underfunded pensions. Okie dokie. January 1st, 2016, the new bank bail-in system goes into effect in Europe. It won't be far behind here, folks. Okay.
If you have a bank account anywhere in Europe, you need to read this article. On January 1st, the new bail-in system will go into effect for all European banks. This system is based on the Cyprus bank bail-ins that we witnessed a few years ago. If you will remember, money was grabbed from anyone that had more than 100,000 euros in their bank accounts in order to bail out the banks. Now the exact same principles that were used in Cyprus are going to apply to all of of Europe and with the entire global financial system teetering on the brink of chaos that's not good news for those who have large amounts of money stashed in shaky European banks now sure if you're an individual and you've got more than a hundred thousand dollars in the bank you're probably stupid and you're gonna lose it because you're stupid you know you're too stupid to have that much money if you have it all in a bank account, you're too stupid to have it all. You really ought to have, you know, look, the banks have become like casinos, all right? You don't go into a casino, not in your right mind, gambling money you can't afford to lose, okay? You don't do that. It's just stupid. Now, hey. Different people got more money and less money, and hey, maybe I go into a casino and I figure, ah, well, you know what? I can lose 20 bucks, okay? I, I, can, I can live with that. I can come in here and, you know, pull a few handles, play a few rounds of, uh, you know, blackjack maybe. You know, but I can, I can drop 20 bucks. Other people might come and go, hey, I can drop a thousand bucks and not not worry about it. I can drop okay, and if you can drop a hundred thousand bucks and not worry about it, then don't worry about it. But if you can't, you need to get your money out of the banks and get it into something substantial, something that you can put your hands on, something that has value that will not disappear. Now, values of anything can go up and down based on the currency and the situation. However, most things that you get never completely lose all their value like your paper currency will. The obvious choice when we're talking about money is gold and silver, right? I mean, that's simple. Okay, well, look, I don't want to keep all this paper, so I'm going to get it in gold and silver. I'm going to bury it in my yard, uh, you know, and I'm just going to keep it there for if I need it, when I need it. Well, okay, that makes sense, but that's not the only thing, folks. Really. How many shovels you got? How many hammers you got? Got a box of nails? You know, you got, hey, how about a unit of two-by-fours? You know, these things will be valuable, okay? You know, and this is just off the top of my head. I mean, if you sat down and thought about it, you could, you could think of a lot of things to do with your money that would retain the value. And you're going to have to do that because... They're out to rob you, man. They're changing the rules. And now they're focusing on the European banking system. But let me tell you, I was following this. This came about at the G20 meeting. This is where they decided to do this. 
And two weeks after the G20 meeting, Congress did their little stopgap spending bill. You know, the must-have, gotta pass, blah, blah, blah. Well, what they put in there also was exactly these same rules that the G20 put in there. They might not be implementing them January 1st like they are in Europe, but they're in the books now. This is the plan, folks. And don't think that they're going to stop at $100,000. That's where they're starting at. This is going to be a how low can you go? Well, if you got 10 bucks in the bank, we're taking it. The directive establishes a bail-in system which will ensure that taxpayers will in, be last in line to pay the bills of a struggling bank. In a bail-in, creditors, according to a predefined hierarchy, forfeit some of their holdings to keep the bank alive. Uh-huh. Well, this is just something that's on the way. Here's something else that's on the way, folks, but you have a choice in this, at least for now uh, you do. Everybody's heard of Windows 10, right? Anybody who's got a Windows machine out there has been getting that nasty little, hey, hey, upgrade to Windows 10. It's really great. It's free. It's free. It's free, we tell you. It's really great, too. It's really great. You'll love it. Uh, Windows 10, it's free. It's so good. It's free. Uh-huh. If it was so good, it wouldn't be free. Listen, nobody gives you anything for free for nothing. Very seldom does that happen. Yes, there are acts of charity now and again, but for the most part, everybody always expects something in return, even if it's just a simple thank you. You ever seen how insulted somebody can be committing charity to a homeless poor person? And when they don't get a thank you or, uh, you know, overflowing gratitude... They get an attitude. They're upset. Why, that ingrate, ungrateful piece of garbage, I'll never give another dime to another homeless tramp as long as I live. All because you didn't get a thank you. You see, you didn't get, that wasn't charity. You weren't given that because, hey, they need it. Here it is. You're giving it to them because you want some sort of reward. You want a thank you. And if you don't get one, that's it. Yeah. So that doesn't happen. And and look, if you're thinking Microsoft is out doing charitable work, you better think again. Windows 10 is free for a reason, and it ain't charity. Listen, here's the headline. Windows 10 covertly sends your disk encryption keys to Microsoft. There's no way to turn off the recovery feature that sends your disk encryption keys to Microsoft by default, without notice. Though you can and should ask Microsoft to forget the keys later. Mm-hmm, and I'm sure they'll do that. The new disk encryption protocol in Windows 10 is, a stark, is in stark contrast with Microsoft's BitLocker product a hardcore, fed-infuriating, full-disk encryption system that allows you to decide whether or not to escrow your keys with Microsoft. Windows 10 has many unprecedented anti-user features. A remote kill switch that lets it disable your hardware, key logging, and browser history logging that, by default, sends it all to Microsoft. 
and a deceptive privacy mode that continues to exfiltrate your data even when you turn it on. Wow, is this great or what? As soon as your recovery key leaves your computer, you have no way of knowing its fate. A hacker could have already hacked your Microsoft account and can make a copy of your recovery key before you have time to delete it. Or Microsoft itself could get hacked or could have hired a rogue employee with access to user data. Or law enforcement or spy agency could send Microsoft a request for all your data in the account, which would legally compel them to hand over your recovery key, eh, which they could then uh, do even in the first thing if you which they could do even if the first thing you do after setting up your computer is deleted. Does Windows 10 sound free to you anymore? I hope not, because it ain't. Well, I don't know if this is wishful thinking or what, but IMF Chief Lagarde to stand trial. That's the headline. Wow. Of course, the charges are unrelated to her greatest crimes, representing the U.S.-controlled IMF and Western-moneyed interests in the expense of beneficial social change. The agency is a bandit operation, the lone shark lender of last resort force-feeding economic and financial harshness on nations in return for loans, followed by new ones needed to pay debt service, an endless cycle of debt peonage, moneyed interest profit, profiting hugely. Ordinary people suffer greatly as expected, so do debt-and-trap countries forced to obey harsh IMF dictates incompatible with civil and human rights. Nations are strip-mined for their resources, material wealth, state enterprises, and, and other crown jewels transferred from public to private hands, hollowed out into dystopian backwaters. Their people able to have jobs transformed into serfs. Except for the privileged few, the result is the worst of all possible worlds, wreaked, racked, by extreme poverty, hunger, malnutrition, diseases, and usually a painful death. Washington got Lagarde appointed to serve as neoliberal ma ma maestro of misery. Wow! Her activities as French finance minister were investigated earlier for serious improprieties, specifically a controversy pitting tycoon Bernard Tapie against the French state. She issued a beneficial 403 euro arbitration order earlier in his favor against the government she swore to serve. Uh, the French highest court, uh, Attorney General, earlier ordered the dossier of this made public, including allegations, indicating Lagarde circumvented the law to benefit Tapie illegally, overriding an appeals court ruling against him. So, maybe she's going to, uh, you know, maybe she's going to end up in jail. It's not for her IMF stuff. It's for the criminal activity she had going on before she ever became the chief of the IMF. You remember the last chief of the IMF, don't you? Yeah. The rapist? Yeah. He got away with that because he bought off the maid. Gee, isn't that something, huh? Who'd have thought? You know, Charlie Sheen should have thought of that. Hey, why don't I just pay off every... Oh, wait, he did. 
Sorry. Yeah, so the head of the IMF is really, you know, no better than Charlie Sheen. Is that encouraging to you? It's not to me. But what is encouraging is, you know what, here in about mm, one minute, at least on the East Coast, it is going to become 2016, which means I got to go. I got to go. We still have three hours out here before the big moment of 2016. I don't know. I might even try to stay awake for it. Anyhow, it's been a pleasure doing the show for the last year. And I will be back again Monday. Not tomorrow, but I will be back Monday to start the new year. Hope you all have a happy, fun, and safe New Year's, and I'll see you next year. A 47 Ford bullet holes and the door broke down, motor in the front yard. <laughs> I gotta have a mind to paint a plywood sign and nail it up on a knotted pine tree. Saying I was here first, this is my piece of dirt, and your rambling don't rattle me. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Ancient prophetic texts warn us that in the last days there will be wars and rumors of war, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in many places, and troublesome times, men fainting from fear from what is coming upon the earth. Even though these words were penned almost 2,000 years ago, we can readily see that this dire warning is applicable in the days in which we are living in now. Days of Chaos, a new book by L.A. Marzulli, exposes what is happening in the Middle East, the Fukushima disaster, the mysterious animal and fish die-off, the rise of the 8.0 and greater earthquake, the coming one world government, the collapse of the U.S. dollar, UFO activity, and so much more. Days of Chaos has the information you need in these troublesome times. Don't be afraid of these events. Come to an understanding of why they are happening as they were prophesied long ago. These are the Days of Chaos. Go to www.lamarzuli.net. www.lamarzuli.net. These are the Days of Chaos.
have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three www.thepowerherbs.com. Greeks thought thyme herb provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. of our republic, waging war on the new world order. This is Govern America. Govern America. 
south of the Great Lakes capital city, covering all of North America via satellite, AMNFM stations all across the country, and live and archived on the World Wide Web. This is Governor America. I'm Darren Weeks, your host here for the next three hours. Nice to have you with us as we once again document the crisis of our republic and reminding of our national, state, and individual autonomy. Today's the 19th of December, 2015, and it's good to have you with us. Again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's uh, been a very busy time here uh, the last couple of days in my uh, neck of the woods. Uh, yesterday, I uh, was uh, spent most of the day running, and so it was a good thing that I had a little bit of a time at a doctor's appointment for my daughter to uh, be able to uh, go through some uh, notes and make some notes for myself. I uh, just kind of had to do show prep on the fly as it uh, seems like things just keep getting busier and busier all the time. Uh, we have uh, we had a cold front move in here. Uh, we had a lot of snow come in last night, and uh, the ground is covered, so it looks like it's going to be a, a white Christmas, although I don't know, because uh, I've heard the weather's supposed to warm up, and it's all supposed to melt off before Christmas. Uh, those of us who are in the northern climates, uh, we get pretty worn out uh, by this cold weather. So it's uh, it's been a very mild December uh, so far this year, and so uh, I welcome the reprieve. As a matter of fact, I told somebody just the other day, if it never snowed again, uh, it wouldn't hurt my feelings any. Uh, I get very tired of dealing. I know some people like it. I'm not one of those people. Uh, it's pretty. You know, it's very nice to look at, but when you have to get out and do it, that's uh, rough. Anyway, a lot going on. Uh, speaking of snow and climate, of course, uh, you know, last week we were on the air uh, talking about the fact that they were hammering out the Paris Agreement. I'm sorry to say, and of course, most of you already know, I'm sure, that we do have a, an, an agreement that uh, came out of that whole thing. And there were a couple of surprises in this. So I've uh, I've read the agreement and went through and highlighted some things, so maybe we'll get into some of that today. Uh, Vicki Davis is joining us right now, though, I think. Uh, Vicki, good morning. Yes, good morning, Darren. How are, how are things in your, your neck of the woods? Cold, very cold. <laughs> we have snow on the ground. and um, I always, uh, about this time of year, I feel the same way that you just expressed. You know, if it didn't snow again, then... Uh, I, you know, I wouldn't feel bad, but then when the summer heat comes, Unbelievable. Yeah, because of the the 19 charges. And uh, sometime later, I'm not sure how long it was, but the uh, U.S. prosecutors, they uh, issued a superseding indictment where they reduced the charges to nine counts that's still in the category of environmental terrorism. And uh, ultimately, the uh, Hammonds were convicted of only Dwight Hammond, the senior Hammond, was convicted of one count of setting a fire in 2001, which the BLM knew about at the time and did nothing about. 
no action because it didn't hurt anything. And then um, the younger Hammond, Stephen, was convicted on two counts. But because of the procedural way in which the indictments are written, the, the counts are listed with the penalty to be assessed if they are convicted. So of the, on the original uh, indictment of 19 charges where they had, you know, given them the uh, penalties as if they were environmental terrorists, those penalties carried through to the, to the conviction on one count. And on that one count, there was a mandatory minimum sentence of five years. Okay, I want to understand this. Uh, what you're saying is that they list the charges and then they cite the laws and the laws based upon those charges hold the, you know, assign the penalties of the, and, and so they list on the charges, the various counts, the penalties attached to that. Can't the yeah, judge, doesn't the judge understand, I mean, wouldn't it be up to normally the, up to the judge to decide uh, what the, what the uh, penalty, I mean, uh, presumably the the man behind the bench, the man hammering the gavel would understand what what the penalties would be for each charge. So why would it be necessary for the uh, prosecutor to put it on the uh, on the indictment? Well, that's that's the interesting thing about what they've done with embedding the penalties in with the charges is that they have taken away the discretion of the judge and they've given it to the prosecutor. Basically. Now, my understanding so, of this is that the uh, the earlier judge, um, he actually reduced the sentencing. Uh, am I getting ahead of you? Uh, no, no. That that judge, he's what he said, and this is a quote. He said it would shock the conscience to. Um, issue this, this mandatory minimum to the, the Hammonds, who, who were guilty of nothing more than managing their ranch, the grazing land on their ranch. That's all they were doing. So he was using, and, attempting to use his judicial discretion uh, in the sentencing phase, and then the, uh, the prosecutors ended up uh, appealing that sentencing, right? That's right, and they appealed it to the Ninth District Court, which which is a, the most liberal court in the country. You know, it's just a bunch of California clowns. And um, the the Ninth District Court found that the judge had illegally reduced the sentence, and so they restored, even though by this time. The, the Hammonds had already served their sentences, you know, the three months for the senior Hammond and one year and one day for the junior Hammond. Um, they had already served their sentences by the time the Ninth District Court came down with their ruling that the judge had illegally um, reduced the sentence. And so now the Hammonds are, are being ordered to go back to jail. 
serve out the minimum sentence, which is a sentence that should have only applied if they were environmental terrorists. Right. Now, when, when I was researching this, I, I um, encountered a story about the Earth Liberation Front. And I remembered them. They were eco-terrorists. Yeah, they really are terrorists. Yeah, and I didn't know this, but they were from Great Britain, which I thought was really, really interesting. I mean, what, you know, what are they doing over here, Um, uh, you know, burning things up and destroying things in the name of environmentalism? Yeah, I guess I didn't know they were from Britain either. Yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever, but that's what they were doing, and that's what they claimed. They um, they had a word for the United States. I can't think of it at the moment, but... Uh, I'm sure it was derogatory, uh, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, like the whole... shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been... what the state charges were, and these charges were terrorist charges under the uh, Anti-Terrorism Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. And then we know the rest of the story from there. They were prosecuted, there was uh, some, uh, well, it started out that still to this day, one of our questions that we're asking in this, in this notice of grievance, or notice of grievance, redress grievance, excuse me, This is uh, Ammon Mundy, Ammon Bundy, excuse me. Uh, and you're, are you telling me now that uh, the feds are going after him? Well, they're not going after him, but they threatened the Hammonds that if they communicate with Ammon Bundy, that they're going to go back to prison early, and they're going to be sent to a really bad prison. And um, Mr. Hammond is 74 years old. So basically, it's going to be a death sentence for him. Oh my gosh! To to go back to prison um, for five to serve a five-year sentence, and so the the Hammonds um, kind of backed away from Ammon Bundy, but um, Ammon is is continuing on. He he's requested uh, the sheriff to or or. Oh gee, I, I don't. I really haven't studied this. What he's doing, but he's uh, set up some kind of a commission um, that to look at the Hammond case, to review the Hammond case. You know, as uh, citizens of Harney County in Oregon, um, to to see what they can do civilly to try and help the Hammonds. 
and I don't fully understand the whole thing that he's doing, but it's it's kind of a hopeful thing, I think, because uh, I've heard him talk about it, and uh, he's studied land issues going way back. I'm sure, yeah. And, uh, we we had uh, some of the Bundys on the show during their whole battle with the feds, the Bureau of Land Management, and uh, they seem to be very, very well versed in the Constitution and the law. It was very apparent that they had really studied up. Uh, but Well, you should have him back to talk about what he's doing in Harney County because um, I, I, I think it's important what, what he's doing. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, but, uh, there, there's something else that uh, you mentioned in your article that you wrote about this, and that is that something about the feds uh, forcing them to sign over their, uh, you know, to the government a right of first refusal on sale of their uh, ranch, and that was as a condition of, of, of the probation. Um, yes, because the um, that, those were special conditions applied in the sentence. You know, the, uh, the judge gave the, the ordinary conditions and then the special conditions, which were to give a DNA sample, which I don't know what that has to do with anything. And um, quite a lot about their financial conditions. They can't, um, they can't enter into any credit agreements and, and so forth. It didn't list there specifically that they had to give the government the right of first refusal, but that's what I was told was that the, the Hammonds were forced to give the government uh, a document of first right of refusal on the sale of the property. Now, somewhere in the case, and I think it was probably now, can, the ninth. Can you, before you go on, can you explain? I mean, I know you're not a lawyer, but can you explain the significance of of what that means? That means if they put the the ranch up for sale, if they have to put the ranch or any of the assets, the water rights, grazing rights, whatever, up for sale, the government gets the first option to buy. That's what I thought it meant. Uh-huh. So what it sounds to me like is that they're after the ranch. Surprise, surprise. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, because the the ranch is right next to the Malhern Wildlife Refuge, and I'm sure I'm, I'm massacring that name, um, but their, their ranch is right next to a wildlife refuge. And, I mean, we all know about Agenda 21, yep. and we know that that the, the, I hate to say our government, because I don't consider them part of our government, but these... It's these the mafia. It's the federal mafia, Vicki. Yeah. I mean, the it, kind yeah. of stuff you're, we're describing here today is mafia-type stuff. Yeah, it sure is. Yep. Um, and so the the uh, government has tried many times to buy buy out the Hammonds, but just like the Bundys, they wouldn't sell. They didn't want to sell. Where where all of the neighbors around the Hammonds ended up selling their property because they couldn't take the harassment. Um, but the Hammonds held out, and so. 
you know, this is this is their punishment for for holding out and not selling the property, so that that property could be added to the wildlife refuge. You know, I can't help but wonder how many more families are going to be targeted, and how many more families are left. You know, as the government swallows up more and more ranch uh, land out west, uh, is anybody safe? How many more ranching families are there, and how many of them are safe? I mean, as, as, as this federal land behemoth continues to grow like a cancer, you know, more and more land swallowed up by it. Uh, this is really alarming when we see stories like this. We got the bottom of the hour break uh, already. Uh, Let's go ahead and take that, and we'll continue on the other side. Uh, this is Govern America. Vicki Davis is here. TheTechnocraticTyranny.com is her website. We'll be back in a moment. popular movies during the Christmas season is the old favorite, It's a Wonderful Life. It's the story of George Bailey, a compassionate but dejected businessman who is ready to give up on life when his guardian angel, Clarence, intervenes. Clarence shows him life as if George had never been born, and George discovers that for all his supposed mistakes and failures, he has brought joy and life to countless people. It really is a wonderful life, and not just on TV. Each and every person has so much potential for good, and nowhere is this potential greater than with an unborn child. This Christmas, and always, please work to preserve the wonder of life for the unborn and their mothers. This has been a perspective on life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website at nrlc.org. That's nrlc.org. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, Merry Christmas. Next. Hi. Um, this is a little embarrassing, but I have this package, and I Does would the package like to... contain any hazardous materials, no. explosives, no. firearms, no. alcoholic uh, beverages? No, no, it's nothing like that. I put some gift certificates at a few local stores, a free dinner at a nice restaurant, and some homemade jams and jellies in here, and I would Wait like to... You're sending this package to Jesus Christ? What does he need gift certificates for? I hear he's got everything. What are you, some kind of lunatic? No, I... You don't to... even have an address on this box. I don't have time for this. I'm very busy. It doesn't have an address because this package is for you. What? I put Jesus' name on the box because that's who I'm giving it to. But I'm not Jesus. No, but Jesus said that when I do things to others, I do them to him. I figured if anyone could use a nice gift, it'd be someone working with a mail during Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Next. Another message from Lifeline Productions, located on the web at Lifeline Pro.
we're back. This is Govern America. I'm Darren Weeks. Vicki Davis is here. And you're welcome to call in if you want to. one 844 govern That's one 844 is the number. And uh, something's wrong with the chat room. I uh, wasn't able to get into the uh, chat room this morning, so I don't know. I guess they're having problems there uh, at Chat Tingle. But anyway... Uh, one eight four four six govern That's one eight four four six four six eight three seven six. Vicky's website is channelingreality.com and thetechnocratictyranny.com, where she has written about this case uh, regarding the Hammond family and uh, the federal mafia, basically, that is targeting uh, private property owners and ranchers and farmers uh, in an, on an increasing basis. Uh, you know, generally, I mean, the West really is under major attack today. Uh, it is really the bastion of property ownership, and those that live in the East that have houses and some small parcels of land don't really appreciate the extent to which uh, the battle for property rights is going on. Uh, and I think the reason why is because, incre- you know, in the, in the East at least, I mean, you have your certain things certain occasional battles with cities and stuff, but that can be dismissed as just a, a town issue or a city issue, maybe even a county issue. But but out west, where there's huge tracts of land where our food growers are, um, they're, they're targeted by the feds. And I don't think the average person can, can really grasp, unless you're living out there and you're dealing with the problem on a regular basis, um, I don't think you really can grasp the degree to which property ownership is really under uh, 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 under fire by the federal federal government. Uh, would you agree with that, uh, Vicky, or have anything to add to that? Absolutely. It's and it's not just the the land. You know, it takes a lot of land to um, graze a herd of cattle. Right. And. Um, or, or even sheep, even bands of sheep, you know. Some people like leg of lamb, mutton, and whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a lot of land for these big animals. And um, uh, the, in the West, they've just traditionally been cattle ranches, and they, they use land to, to graze. But the federal government is not just going after... Um, they're not just trying to, to block off rec- recreation areas, which everybody knows about. They are, are trying to um, take back the grazing rights that these families have had for generations in their family. Right. And there there are no farmers and no ranchers in this country that are safe because under UN Agenda 21, they are trying to lock up all of our natural resources. And, um, you know, while the, the people in the East, I don't know if they appreciate the fact that the meat that they eat comes from a ranch. It doesn't come from the grocery store. It ends up in the grocery store, but it comes from a ranch. Right. And... Uh, it and. It's not just the land that's an issue, it's the water rights. The EPA has been on a tear to take away water rights, to control all of the water in this country. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I just read an article this morning, watched a video 
um, where the Idaho Department of Water Resources is trying to basically take away the water rights of farmers in the in the um, Treasure Valley, which is the Boise area. And um, what they're saying is that they, for water that flows over the dam, even if it's not used for irrigation, they want to charge that against the irrigator's water rights, mm. which, which means that they're basically just paying for water that they haven't used and can't use, you know, because they can only use so much water at, at any given point in time to water their crops. Yeah. And in the video that I watched, the um, Water Association guy said that if the Idaho Department of Water Resources does this, the the irrigator's allocation of water will be used up about in June. Wow. So for the whole rest of the summer, they will not be able to get water. This is just incredible. Uh you know, we've seen uh, Nestle and companies like them uh, be able to divert water uh, to use to produce their candy or whatever it is they they produce. You know, as as, as private individuals and and, and farmers and, and you know had their crops go dry. Uh, and and this is this is just seems to be the norm anymore. You know, whoever has yeah, water is the it's the big water battleground. Is the new blue gold. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, it encourages me to a certain extent to see states come forward and try to uh, take back federal lands from the federal government uh, by eminent domain. Uh, but I don't think there's enough of that going on. Uh, I, I mean, state governments, unless they really start to stand up and get a grip on this, uh, I just don't. I don't know what we're going to eat, Vicky. I mean, increasingly, the United well, States is, is 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 importing more and more of its food from other other countries, and this this from a nation that used to feed the world. Yes, that's the design of the global economy: is that um, we are supposed to export our production and import our consumption. That's what it looks like to me. You know, you know that's what I do. As I look at things from a functional point of view, and at the administrative layers of government, I, for the most part, I just ignore all these political puppets because because everything they say is a lie. And um, where you get the real story about what's going on is by looking at the administrative layers of government. Right. And how things are set up. And um, that's that's really what it looks like to me is that the globalists have designed a global economy to create absolute interlocking dependencies yeah, I, between I, countries. I, I share the notion that we should ignore the puppets, you know, except for specific implementations that they are engaging in and, and hearing some of what they're saying, you know, because sometimes they reveal what the overall plan is and, and, and the agendas that they push, but these political candidates especially, uh, 
you're not going to have any saviors there. And, and it just astounds me to the degree to which that the patriot effort has fallen for Donald Trump. Uh, this just is, is amazing because this guy is not a, on the side of freedom. You know, he says a lot of things, some of which sounds good, some of which doesn't. As a matter of fact, I got audio right here. I'll go ahead and play it. This is Donald Trump on the Patriot Act, folks. Let me ask you about the big debate between Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. I had Senator Cruz on yesterday, Senator Rubio the week before, and I'm sure they'll all be back before Las Vegas, on metadata collection. Ted Cruz is glad that the NSA got out of it. Marco Rubio wants it back. What's Donald Trump think? Well, I tend to err on the side of security, I must tell you. And, and I've, I've been there for longer than you would think. But, you know, when you have people that are beheading our our if you're a Christian, or and, and frankly, for lots of other reasons, when you have the world looking at us and would like to destroy us as quickly as possible, I err on the side of security. And so, you know, that's the way it is. That's the way I've been. And, and some people like that, frankly, and some people uh, don't like that. Uh, Mr. Trump, are you back? I'm here. Okay, yeah. Uh, anyway, he reiterates it. You know, but th this, is, this is what the, uh, the puppets do this is what the puppets say and people are putting their their hope and, and then when you you know we're talking about property rights how does trump fare with that he's all in on the kilo decision he's all in he, and in fact he i wrote an article about this he recently said that uh that he thinks eminent domain is wonderful you know so this is your uh your, your savior that everybody seems to be pushing as anti-establishment and, and from my standpoint he's about as as pro-establishment as they come vicky well he's a new yorker <laughs> and you can't do anything in new york without eminent domain but um the, my dilemma with all of that including the the patriot act is that um they've been flooding our country with these muslims from the middle east Right. And they are conspiring against us. And so they they our government has set up the conditions in order to take our freedoms away from us. So it they've put us between a rock and a hard spot. If I actually thought, if I believed that the government was actually working to find and stop terrorists then, then I would say, okay, for the time being, you know, go ahead and, and look at my emails or listen to my phone calls or whatever, because I want these people out of this country. But there's another part of the government that just keeps bringing them in, flooding them in. Right. You know? So, so I mean, it's pretty obvious what they're doing. And yeah. so... Yeah, I mean they're they're it, it, talking out of one side of their one. mouth and they're pushing an agenda with another side. Uh we got a caller on the line, Vicky. Uh let's go ahead and take the caller. Hello caller, you're on the air. Go ahead. Who who do we have? Yeah, hi, this is Ken from West Virginia. Hey, how you doing? And you were talking about the you're talking about the um, the illustrious Donald Trump. Yeah. There's about the eminent domain. There's a there's a documentary about him. I got Hey Ken, you're you're breaking up really bad. Breaking up. Yeah, you're breaking back, breaking up a little bit. Well, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes from here. You may have to call back. Are you there? 
that better now? No, I'm, it's not. I can hardly, we can hardly yeah, understand you. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. No, it's yeah, just, it, yeah, it's just not working, Kent. Um, anyway, Trump made a document. Yeah, I'm sorry. You try call, try, try calling back. I apologize. We just, we just can't hear you. You're, you're breaking up really bad. Um, anyway, you know, Vicky, before we go on, I wanted to, um, also, you know, we were talking about the uh, Bundy situation. Um, there's another one of the uh, people that were involved with that that was also targeted by the feds. I don't know if you were aware of that. Uh, but uh, Pyatt Bar Barbeau, I think is how you pronounce it, he was just uh, <clears throat> arrested by the feds on a uh, federal firearms felony charge. And... Um, so apparently the uh, BATF officials um, raided his, um, well, let me just share a little bit of this from the Canada Free Press. Uh, in the late morning of December 6th, uh, Skyler Schooler Barbeau has been helping Alan Ank by rescuing service dogs as a business service run from Ank Family Ranch in Stevens County, Washington, some 280 miles away from where the following events began to unfold. After dealing with the dogs, Schooler uh, wanted to stop to collect some money owed to him by Oliver Murphy. Murphy texted to Schooler to meet him at the way station at Interstate 90 in Washington, Highway 18. When they arrived at the way station, Oliver's car was there, but Oliver was nowhere to be seen, so they parked next to Oliver's car, and Alan, and Alan got out of the car, cell phone in hand, to call his wife to take the dog to the dog walk. Uh, before he could uh, complete his intended tasks, he saw between 10 to 12 battle-dressed people encircle him and the car. He was told to lie down on the ground. He complied, though he questioned why they were being treated this way. Uh, they then handcuffed Alan, and since uh, Schooler uh, was on the uh, other side of the car, he didn't really see what happened to him. Alan did note that he saw FBI, U.S. Marshals, and Coast Guard though there were uh, no apparent BATF uh, agents on the scene. Anyway, uh, it goes on from there, and it talks about the, the charges, but it, it really looks like it boils down. They seized a bunch, bunch of stuff, uh, but it really boils down to a firearms charge, and this looks to me like a retaliation thing because he was at the Bundy Ranch apparently uh, to um, help, you know, protect uh, Clive and Bundy and his family from BATF assaults or, or BLM assaults. You know what? Yeah. That's really interesting because the same kind of thing happened to a guy here in Idaho. The same setup. You know, he uh, had a friend and he had a gun that, that the friend wanted to buy and the friend said, meet me here. And when he got there, um, he was arrested by federal agents. So it was a, a sting operation. Yeah, and I think that guy was also at um, the Bundy Ranch. So this this that's looks... Very, this, that's very, very interesting, yeah, uh, Darren. What I think they're doing here, at least at what it looks like to me from what little we know, is it looks like they're trying to single out different people that they knew to, know, knew to be there, uh, 
you know, you remember uh, Senator Harry Reid, Dirty Harry, uh, talking about in the days after that whole situation, he came out and made the statement that this isn't over, you know, and we expected, at least I did, uh, that there would be some escalation of the violence in the coming days, that they would come back and re-raid and come back with more forces. What it looks like is that they're picking off people uh, yeah, one, one by one. Time. Yeah. Yeah, so this is something that everyone really needs to be aware of. Folks, we're dealing with the federal mafia here in a big way. And, uh, you know, uh, when you get people one by one and you're starting to uh, to raid them, pick them off, uh, this has a, a smell of uh, of the roundup already having begun. Yeah. I hate to put yeah, it that it way. Does. I really hate to put well, it that I... way. Well, but I think you might be right. I, I, as soon as you told that story, I, I mean, that sounds exactly like what happened to a guy here just recently, and um, and I think he was also at Bundy Ranch. So I'll, I will sound the alert. So if there are any federalities out there, you're busted because I'm going to tell. <laughs> well, what we need is the the major patriot movement, uh, you know, coming forward and sounding the alarm in mass that this is happening because this looks to me very clear to be the strategy. And uh, mm, I don't know, you know, what to do about it. The problem is, is that. You know, by the time they uh, operate in secret uh, planning these things, uh, they've already got somebody busted on a trumped-up charge, uh, and, and, and it, you know, often there isn't time to rally the troops. Uh, we've got another call on the line. I think this is John in Tennessee. Uh, John, go ahead. It is. It is. Morning, Baron and Vicky. You know, uh, this is it's definitely a setup, but I think that it charges will fix, and here's why. I heard you say, Darren, the way station or even a rest area is on an interstate system or on a, a national highway. It's national property. It's federal property. Hey, John, are you talking into your phone? I am, but I'm on no, I'm on a headset, but I'm on a different headset. Yeah, it's it's kind of I've got not, a little bit of a laryngitis going on. Yeah, there's just an ambient noise. I, Go ahead. What I wanted, what I wanted to say, is that if it's federal property, that there may be a law prohibiting exchanging handgun transactions or money on that property. You know, if you get done it in a Walmart parking lot or uh, in front of a local police department or a post office, there may not have been a problem. Whether or not his friend was involved in the setup. I don't know, but we, you know, the same thing was was happening in Waco. They could have, they just, if, uh, what's his name, been committing some kind of a crime, they could have taken him at any time. He was in town, he did his running, and there was an outcry over what happened to David Koresh. Right. So here we go. Uh, you know, we, we have become an enemy of the state for a person of interest because we're not compliant with totalitarianism. Now, we're on the wrong side of the, wrong side of the fence. 
According to Lindsey Graham, the whole world has become the battlefield. Yep. 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 Can't argue with well, that. Well, we're, we're on the American side of the fence. Yeah. Which is the right side of the fence. It's our criminal government that's on the wrong side of the fence. Well, what we need are more people who are uh, tuned in and who are paying attention to these issues. Because, it's you know, I knew, Vicki, when they came out and declared that if you have a... And I'm, I understand I'm no fan of Ron Paul in the sense because I, I, I know Ron Paul has done a lot of things that, uh, you know, like promoting the communist Chinese, you know, voting repeatedly uh, for most favored nation uh, trading status with, with communist China. Uh, you know, I can't get beyond that because that's that's devastating to the U.S. economy. So with that as a caveat, uh, there are a lot of people who do support Ron Paul because of what they believe him to be or, you know, and, and, and he has done some good things. Uh, there are people who support him, and, and, you know, they claim that if you have a Ron Paul bumper sticker that you're a, a potential domestic terrorist. If you have a copy of the Constitution in your car, you're a potential domestic terrorist. I mean, this is insanity, you know, that if we carry around our nation's founding documents, that we can be called a domestic, potential domestic terrorist because of this. And and, and, and and when they did this, I knew that this is really a shot across the bow uh, this is really a warning sign to all of us that it's getting more and more dangerous to be a uh, a genuinely patriotic person in this country. Yeah, that's true, and that's the that's how you know that we have criminals running the government. When you when patriotism and loyalty to your founding documents and to the principles that this country was founded on, when those become illegal, then then you know that it's not um, you don't have a legitimate American government. Yeah, you have uh, people who are guilty of treason running the thing. Hey, John, yeah. uh, we have a few minutes left here before the break. Uh, you know, I'll give you the last word. All right. Well, what I what I wanted to say was that. Vicky, fear is a motivator. So we need to be fearless. You know, we really need to get armored up, put the armor on that is in Ephesians, and be proactive and, and not necessarily uh, look for the battle, but don't run from it. Be proactive and, and be strong in what we believe. And we can't lose. I mean, we may... We don't know how this is going to wash out, but we know that right is going to prevail. These people are really, uh, you know, they're, they're evil to the core. It flips truth on its ear, and people are afraid to stand for what's right. And as a result, we're, you know, we're losing, we're losing our freedom and true liberty because we're afraid to uh, take a stand. So we got to stand. Yep. Got a finish the I appreciate you letting me call. Yep, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in there, uh, John. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Yeah, and and Ken, he, is, he's it, exactly right, and um, that's why I appreciate so much. There's a group in Idaho called the Three. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, we're still here. Oh, yeah. There's a group in Idaho called the Three Percent, and. Um, they are standing up, and um, 
I appreciate them so much for what they're doing. It's headed up by a former police officer, so they're not a bunch of redneck militia guys, not at all. They're um, more like the Minutemen. And um, they've gotten quite a bit of press here in Idaho and actually uh, beyond Idaho. You know, for the stand that they've taken on the refugee resettlement issue, right, and and various other issues. So, and that's, some of the press, frankly, really, hasn't been favorable, but that's okay. Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center has everybody who has any kind of backbone. They have them on the terrorist list. So, yeah, and when it's really the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ACLU that are the terrorists. Yeah, I agree. They just do their terrorism in a courtroom. Yep, there you go. Yep, exactly. Well, these people are the ones that are actively working for the undermining of our republic. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, they they are. The ACLU was started by a communist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it's in the cultural Marxism is the thing that they're promoting in the big, biggest way possible to deconstruct society from traditional morality so that it evolves into chaos, and, and, and this is where we're at today, where you just about can't do anything without, oh, that's offensive, and oh, you can't have that. In the meantime, uh, Satanists can uh, produce, you know, uh, their symbols and, uh, you know, uh, goat heads and, and, and things on the public courthouse, and that's all fine, but you can't have a nativity there. All right, we got a top-of-the-hour break, and then we'll continue on in hour number two of Govern America. Please stay with us, folks. We'll be back. When we think of abortions, we think just about those performed in the United States. But these kill only about 3% of all aborted children worldwide. An estimated 46 million of the most innocent people on earth are lost annually. One of the worst cases in the world is Russia, where over three-fifths of all pregnancies are aborted. These abortions not only result in a 30% maternal mortality rate in Russia, but also contribute to Russia's catastrophic population decline. The crisis is such that the Russian government recently began to prohibit some abortions. If Russia can do it, why can't the United States? This has been a perspective on life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website at nrlc.org. That's nrlc.org.
back. This is Govern America. GovernAmerica.com is the website, www.GovernAmerica.com. My email address is radio at GovernAmerica.com. That's radio at GovernAmerica.com. And uh, the uh, call-in number, if you'd like to call in. And by the way, Ken, uh, uh, I apologize. Uh, we just couldn't hear you. I, I hate, hated to cut you off, but we just we couldn't understand what you were saying. So if you want to try back again, we can uh, have another go-around. But the uh, number to call in is one eight four four six four six eight three seven six. That's one eight four four six govern If you live outside the country, uh, the country code is one, and the area code is six four six eight. Four six eight three seven six, and that's uh, once again six four six eight govern. Uh, and Vicki Davis is here. Her website is channelingreality.com or thetechnocratictyranny.com. And uh, Vicki, uh, I don't know if you had anything more you wanted to add on the uh, on the cases of the ranchers and the private property rights thing. Uh, if if you do, just go ahead and jump right in. Um, just to repeat the fact that. There is a war on uh, farmers and ranchers, and I think it's because they use natural resources. They live uh, on the land, and they use the land, and um, that makes them eco-terrorists, as we found out with in the case with Mr. Hammond. Mm-hmm. And so um, anybody who has any property at all should uh, really be heads up on this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and then it doesn't matter where you live either. Uh, you know, it seems like they have a flavor of control, uh, regardless of uh, what the location is. And you know, if you live in a big city, I mean, obviously they have they have restrictions upon your ability to have roosters and chickens, uh, you know, agricultural animals and this sort of thing. If you live in a rural area, you're targeted by some other, uh, you know, endangered species. A regime, you know, uh, scheme, I should say, uh, or some other regulatory mechanism anyway to to get you inside the control and to prevent you from doing what you need to do with your own property, with what should be your own it, property. It's global totalitarian control. Yeah. That's, that's what's happening is that the United Nations system has metastasized and um, it's a cancer, and we really need to get out of the U.N., get out of the U.N. system, and kick these NGOs out of our country, just like uh, Putin did in Russia. That was the smartest thing he ever did. Yep. And, and we need to do that, too. And now he's just about become the axis of evil as they uh, villainize him uh, in, a, in a major way. You know, speaking of global control, uh, I don't know how closely you've been following this uh, Paris uh, climate talks thing, but uh, they came out with an agreement. Uh, and what's what's interesting? There's some interesting language in parts of this. They they say uh, acknowledging that. Climate change is a common concern of mankind. Parties should, when taking action to address climate change, respect, promote, and consider their respective obligations on human rights, the right to health, and the right of indigenous peoples, local communities, migrants, children, persons with disabilities, and people in vulnerable situations, and the right to develop development, as well as gender equality, empowerment of women, and intergenerational equity. You know, 
So to hear them tell it, they're all about promoting our rights, Vicki. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, you know what? I just recently found um, a 1960 declaration um, declaring uh, freedom for the colonies and indigenous peoples of the world. And um, an analysis of that paper that I read that was written by a law professor said that what they did is that they had uh, on this declaration, it was a vote of the General Assembly excluding the, the Security Council. So the um, members of the permanent members of the United Nations had no vote in it, really, other than their single vote as a country. So so you had uh, all of these little countries all around the world having an equal vote with the large countries. And what they voted for was decolonization. And, you know, if you know the circumstances of how our country was founded, it was founded as a colony, right. as colonies of Great Britain. Well, I suspect that there are forces amongst the native populations that are trying to use those international agreements to take property and land um, from uh people in this country the same way that they did in South Africa. Um, let's see, I forgot what I forgot well, what you I know, you're talking about decolonization. Let's let's start there then, uh, because um, you know, the average person would say, Well, you know, what's wrong with decolonization? You know, I mean do we want to be a colony of some other uh power, some other uh country? Well, we're not. We're a constitutional republic, but that's the point. Indigenous peoples um, may think that they have a right to to claim that we are trespassing on their territory if you are um, Anglo-Saxon or if you are an immigrant from some other country. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's the thing that uh, I, I think they might be missing is that um, it isn't it isn't just the native white Americans that are in peril from this it's anybody who has immigrated to this country they're in peril too right by by what is this movement and I know there is a movement to quote decolonize the developed countries so um, and if if Indians think that they can they can do this, decolonize and deconstruct the United States, and that they will be able to hold this territory, they're delusional. Yeah, you know, be, be, it's just they're delusional. That's well, I, I I think even in the Patriot movement, uh, and I hate to even use that terminology because I. You know, the, the Patriot movement has become so fragmented and, frankly, infiltrated uh, with people who, are, you know, spout nonsense, frankly, that uh, there's this there's this idea of of. Uh, I, I see different things going on here. Uh, you know, we've we've got the assertion and Roger Mundy was really good about talking about this. Um uh, 
this, this assertion of natural rights, natural law, uh, and, and, and expatriating. And, and the problem with that is when you, do, when you expatriate, and, and I understand people's desire to get out of the system, and I'm not talking about that, uh, getting out of the system to whatever degree you can, fine, you know. But the problem is, is they've made it where you can't get out of their system and be able to survive. You know, increasingly, it's, it's. I mean, you've got to live somewhere. And when, when they've taken every single inch of land and parcel, you know, every single parcel of land, every single square inch of land is accounted for under their system. You know, I mean, even small islands and stuff. There's a, there's a whole chapter in Agenda 21 which deals with small islands. You know, so there's no place on earth that they haven't accounted for that they don't consider to be a part of their system. So, Well, well I, I remember now where I was going with that um, mm-hmm. as it pertains to human rights. Um, that declaration was un- on the human rights agenda, under the human rights agenda, and it was a vote of the Environmental and Social Council, ECOSOC. And so, um, so it, it became part of the doctrine of, of the UN on, under the economic and social part of the UN. So the permanent members did not have a opportunity to veto it because it wasn't put before the Security Council. So, but under the under the United Nations Human Rights. Um, there are no nations. There is only the global system and local. And the people, you know, there's a lot of people in the patriot community that are being used as tools of the globalists to break the nation state because they have this delusional idea of, of global governance imposing global rules on locally. You know, yeah. a world of one size fits all. Well, I, I think that there is a certain segment of the so-called patriot community, uh, at least behind people who sit behind microphones, that promote the idea that somehow the world government is going to be our savior. And yeah. I, I have a problem with that, you know, because as as Roger said, said used to say, um, you know, when you expatriate, you know, in other words, think of the United States as the oppressor, which they are, frankly. Uh, uh, you know, they're they're oppressing. But who is our world government? You know, are they not the same people that are behind the State Department that are doing all this behind the EPA, behind the BLM, and all this alphabet soup, alphabet soup stuff? I mean, they're the same people. But it, That's exactly you, you, right. you can expatriate exactly right. from the United States. But what does that put you in? I mean, it's, it's kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire type of scenario, in my view. Right. Well, and, and the only real hope for this country is to restore an American system of government. Because what we have right now is not an American system of government. And as, as a matter of fact, I just wrote a letter to the editor. It's published on TBOINews.com's website. Um about the fact that what the states are going to have to do is reclaim states' rights. 
Yeah. And we have to get the UN out of this country. Did they publish that? Yeah, they did. Good. They didn't hack it all to pieces? <laughs> oh, no. No, no. Uh, TBOI News is alternate media. Oh, I'm, you can write a letter yeah, oh, to the okay. editor as long as you want. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about the uh, the local newspaper. Uh, no, they're they're alternate media okay. news. Yeah, my uh, my experience with writing local newspaper articles is they uh, they chop your stuff all to pieces, and by the time you they get done publishing it, it's probably half the size of what you wrote, and 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 many times doesn't mean what you wrote. So, right. uh, but you know, I I advocate that because I think people should at least try, and you know, but yes, that's the only solution that I can see is having the states rise up because otherwise we have no power. I mean, it's very apparent. In fact, uh, Congress. I don't know how closely you've been following this omnibus uh, budget battle. But uh, they just uh, basically gave the whole farm over to the Democrats. These Republican, uh, Republican-controlled Congress, and and they're just uh, basically. You would think the Democrats are in charge with what they've, with this budget deal that they've just passed. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it's it's I, I watched, unconscionable. Yeah, I, wa- I watched the press conference with Nancy Pelosi. She was just ecstatic. She was beside herself with joy. And I looked for a press conference from uh, Paul Ryan, and there was none. He, he is hiding out, apparently. This was his first big battle, and he failed. Yeah. Which I knew he would, because um, I, I watched his uh, budget negotiations when he was collaborating with Alice Rivlin a couple of years ago. And um, I, it, it, you couldn't tell that he was a Republican. You'd have thought he was a Democrat. Well, you say he failed. So, Did he really? Maybe that's what he was put in in uh, in office to do. I got a little bit of a background around this uh, on this omnibus thing. Uh, let's just uh, hear what what the media had to say about it. President Obama is applauding Congress for passing a $1.1 trillion bill to fund the government and avert the possibility of a shutdown for the first nine months of next year. See, Obama is absolutely thrilled that this is going on, by the way. I mean, basically, he got whatever he wanted. He got everything. It was a good win. And uh, there's It was a good win, he said, Vicky. It was in there that I don't like, but... That's the nature of legislation and, and compromise, and I think uh, the system worked. So as we end the year, I think by any objective standard, it's uh, this is Mitch McConnell. a year of significant accomplishment. And I want to thank the Democrats who did cooperate. But some in Congress, particularly conservatives, are upset and consider the agreement a capitulation. Correspondent Doug McElway tells us why. Thank you very, very much. House Speaker Paul Ryan may have dodged a bullet with today's passage of the budget bill, but it came at a cost. Many conservatives held their noses and their fire in voting yay, knowing that this was a byproduct of Ryan's predecessor. I didn't want him to walk into a dirty barn full of you-know-what. So uh, I've done my best to try to clean it up. Ryan acknowledged on more than one occasion he was put in a difficult position. uh, You know I don't like this process, right? I mean, you know... Uh, that we inherited a process, uh, a cake that was pretty much more than half-baked. I don't like the way that these bills come together. Next year, 
we're going to do things differently. In a post-vote press conference, yes, yeah, sure. House Democrats found the cake to their liking. I was particularly pleased in these negotiations that we were able to get rid of 150 poison pills that were anti-environment, anti-women, anti-health, anti-education. I can go on. Among the Democrats' goodies, a two-year delay of the Cadillac tax and the Affordable Care Act, which many consider to be a perk to big labor, a one-year suspension of Obamacare's health insurance tax, an extension of wind and solar tax credits. Democrats also succeeded in blocking GOP riders to defund Planned Parenthood, keep out Syrian refugees, block sanctuary cities, and to block the EPA's clean power plan. Most troublesome to some Republicans, the budget more than triples the number of H-2B visas for low-skilled foreign workers, from 66,000 to 250,000. The American people clearly do not favor those kind of increases in uh, workers to take jobs competing with our lowest income Americans, people who are struggling the most. But Republicans can savor their own victories. The deal increases defense spending well above the 2011 sequestration caps, and it lifts the ban on the export of domestic crude oil. All victories tempered by the realities of divided government. When the American people elect divided government, they're not saying don't do anything. They're saying look for the things you can agree on. This may be the last of the hyper-contentious budget battles of the Obama era. When this budget is done in September, the country is going to be focused and in the home stretch of a heated presidential campaign, likely winnowed down to just one Republican and one Democrat. A continuing resolution will likely carry the country through until January of 2017, when a new president and a new Congress take the reins. So you have a $1.1 trillion budget deal, Vicki. I mean, you, you, yeah, and what do the Republicans get? They can export crude. Yeah, which means your your they oil will probably be going up. Exp- That's the way the global economy is set up. <clears throat> export your production, import your consumption. And when I listened to a press conference about it, they they mentioned briefly that they were going to have to compensate the refiners. Compensate them. Who won't have the crude to refine anymore. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Well, and and 
why why are prices going down? Food prices haven't come down, but gas prices have, and that's helping the economy. But exporting crude is is going to make the prices go back up. Right. That's what I think. I'm, I'm, and there 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 and I've read about that and there are some experts that are are disputing that. I guess time will tell. Uh but that's what I think the design is is to get the prices back up. Um Sure. And and of course I so can't help but can be, I can't help but think about the, the prices controlled at the global level. Yeah, I can't help but think that the that this has something to do also with Bretton Woods and the uh the original you know, petrodollar uh, connection, where you know they, they they have to do this to to prop the dollar up long enough to be able to make the transition to this eco currency, whatever it is. Which which undoubtedly uh, this whole Paris thing is all interconnected in in that as well. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm afraid you're right. I I was listening to a program where a guy from MIT was talking about a, uh, a eco currency, global or um, carbon currency, and uh, he was presenting it as if you know it, it was his own idea, just came out of the air. <laughs> but of course, we know we know that that, that that's the idea, but it's completely psychopathic. Yeah. Because all of the things that they that they will be um, basing this currency on are the things that we need to survive. You know, the, only they are basing it on the reduction of the use of those things. Yeah. Okay, we we exhale carbon dioxide. That's a pollution. That's pollution in in the carbon currency system. So we have to, in some way, pay for that. Pay for that exhale of pollution. And well, you know about that uh, family dependency ratio, right? Yeah, Joan Vion used to always Vion. talk about that. Yeah, well, that's what this this implementation of the carbon currency, um, th that will be the way that they account for it. Let me just explain I mean, they, for those listeners who, 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 who don't know about the family dependency ratio. Uh, Joan Vion, when she was traveling, uh, she used to always attend these, uh, these meetings, uh, various United Nations conferences and things. Uh, and one thing that she learned from that she began to hear these uh delegates uh talk about uh you know how they would um how how the whole thing was going to be set up with uh you know people basically if you have you, you need to have more producers in a family then you have people drawing on the system is that is that correct am i describing that right vicky Right. The family it's dependence. Like a personal, Go ahead. It's like a personal accounting system, a debit and credit system, mm -hmm. and um, your use of resources has to be offset by how much you produce. Yep. So, what whatever resources you use, food, and you know when you exhale that pollution. They will have algorithms to calculate that and to be able to compare it to what you produce. Mm 
and you better come out on the positive side, otherwise you're a useless eater. Right. There you go. And, and that's their, uh, and you their terminology. Yeah, and you won't get any support. And you know what? There is precedent for that because that's the way it was over in China with their one-child policy. Mm -hmm. if, if a couple had more than one child, that child, the second child, was not recognized as a human being, as a person in China. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's like... You know, um, totally does not exist. Well, that's uh, something that'll um, make you carry a scarlet letter above your head uh, mm -hmm. for your entire life. You know, and then uh, we come back to the uh, thing that they're doing now with the, you know, everybody rating everybody else in terms of their social scores. And, uh, you know, to think about that being the model for the world is just incredibly frightening. You know, but you were talking about the family dependency ratio. One of the things that I found in the um, in the United Nations uh, Paris Agreement that just uh, was drawn up is, you know, this whole thing of accounting. Uh, they talk about the ad hoc working group on the Paris Agreement is to uh, it requests they request them to elaborate drawing from approaches established under the convention and its related legal instruments as appropriate for guidance, guidance for accounting for parties nationally, determine contributions. And what they're talking about is our contributions of greenhouse gases. And uh, they, go, they go on to say uh, parties account for anthropogenic emissions and removals in accordance with common methodologies and metrics assessed by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and adopted by the Conference of the Parties, serving as the uh, meeting of the parties to the Paris Agreement. Parties ensure methodological consistency, including on baselines between communication and implementation of nationally determined contributions. Now, you know, as I read this, uh, Vicki, it, it dawns on me, the EPA is going to be regulating the hell out of everything. You know, uh, if they're required, and of course this is a, this was set up to be a non-binding agreement, because to have a binding agreement would have to go to Congress to be ratified. So Obama specifically uh, did his best to get them to set it up where instead of using the word "shall," they use the word "should" uh, to make it non-binding, and they are specific. Uh, language in here, which talks about the ability of, of countries and entities to be able to uh, participate voluntarily. There's a lot of voluntary language in here, and so. Uh, but but as I as I as I think about this, uh, you know, the EPA regulating everything. It has never been so so important for states to stand up and nullify the federal bureaucracy. You know. Right. And that's exactly, they must do it, yeah. because um, the way the administrative system of government works, they don't need the Congress to ratify it, yeah. because, the, because the U.S. participation in the U.N., in the charter, it says that they will implement as fully as possible all of the um, uh, declarations and resolutions implemented by the U.N., and so that's the, the State Department working with the administrative layer of government, and the administrative layer of government writes the rules, 
that come down through the state. All right, stay with us. We'll be back here in a moment. In the classic science Brave New World, people are little more than manufactured products. The authorities clone human embryos, drug them, and develop them in mechanical wombs. At least in the story, they are allowed to live, but we are faced with an even worse reality. Recently, scientists announced the construction of the first artificial womb. Some hope it will eventually be used to grow embryos whose organs would be harvested. These human embryos would be killed and scavenged for parts. As science grows ever more sophisticated, we face a choice as a society. We can move toward a brave new world where every technological advance helps the powerful profit from the helpless, or we can build a humane world in which every human being is free from exploitation. Which do you want? This has been a perspective on life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website at nrlc.org. That's nrlc.org. So, Bob, doing anything special for Christmas this year? Well, we're spending Christmas at my in-laws. Heads up, everybody. The boss is coming. I'm out of here. Frank, before you leave. Uh, I was just going to the copy machine. Well, I just wanted to say thanks for doing a great job. Uh, Sure, you're welcome. Alice, how are you today? Fine. That's nice. Here's a box of chocolates and Merry Christmas. Thank you. Bob. Yes, sir. Didn't you have some baby pictures on that wall? He went to college last year, sir. Ah, they grow up fast, don't they? Well, you have a Merry Christmas. You too, sir. Was that our boss? What was that all about? I don't know. He's probably going to cut our bonus this year. You don't think he's going to cut our pay, do you? Oh, no. What? This is the way he acted when he laid off half the marketing department last summer. Guys, don't you know by now, he's that way every Christmas. Oh. Christmas, the time of year when we act the way we should the rest of the year. Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at LifelinePro.com. GovernAmerica.com. We're visiting with Vicki Davis today, and her websites are ChannelingReality.com. That's ChannelingReality.com, and her more recent, TheTechnocraticTyranny.com. And make sure you put the word the in the, in the domain name when you type it in. TheTechnocraticTyranny.com, and both of them are linked up on our front page at Govern America. Uh, you know, uh, before the break, and I, I'm sorry I had to cut you off there, Vicki, um, I don't know if you finished with what you were going to say. Um, I think I did. Okay. Uh, we, uh, I mentioned earlier about the non-binding uh, word game that they're using to get this this thing shoved down people's throats. Uh, one of the uh, 
let's see, I can think of the name of the guy. Uh, his name is Todd Stern. He is the U.S. Special Envoy for Climate Change, and he was the uh, chief negotiator, as I understand it, at the talks. Uh, he was at the um, Center for American Progress speaking about how they uh, had to use this, uh, how, how they played this word game. Interestingly enough, at the 11th hour, uh, right before the whole thing was through, the, the one of the key words was changed by some mysterious person. It was kind of interesting to hear him talk about this, and I'll play the audio and uh, see what you think about it. For the, the last draft of the text that we were supposed to be, um, the last iteration, I, I guess, um, came out around 1.30 on Saturday, and, uh, you know, it comes on to everybody's, comes online to everybody's uh, computers, and we all start printing it out, and I, I started reading it right away, and I was actually the one who saw in Article 4, Paragraph 4, this word shall that wasn't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be a should, but it said shall, and it was a paragraph that we had worked on very carefully, and we had worked on in concert with uh, the French. We had worked it through, you know, sort of shared our, our uh, language and, and had agreement with the Chinese and, and, uh, and all previous drafts had in that pivotal word had always been the same. And, and the word matters because basically shall means legally binding and should means not legally binding in the, in the, in the way uh, the drafting, uh, drafting of international agreements goes. So uh, somehow or other a gremlin got into the uh, French typewriters and computers and the word popped out. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a very interesting mystery as to what happened because somebody somewhere in in the French or Secretariat system decided to do that because you don't autocorrect from should to shall. <laughs> but Fabius, you know, Laurent Fabius, the, 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 the president of the negotiations, and his key drafters, who you know, we were very close to, were com didn't know anything about it. I mean, I, saw, I, I actually saw the word. Secretary Kerry was there. We called Fabius right away. He was, had no idea that it had happened. None of the key drafting people knew it had happened. But somebody, somebody somewhere changed it. And we couldn't actually go forward because that would have made this whole agreement legally binding for the United States. And uh, that, you know, for reasons that are probably obvious, that wouldn't have been so useful for us. So, um, but it was a genuine mistake. And uh, so he and goes on to say it was a genuine mistake. Yeah. First he says, first he says, oh, it was uh, somehow some mysterious person actually changed it, and then he says it's a mistake. You can't have it both ways. Somebody uh, tried to make this into a legally binding uh, instrument, which, through the regulatory apparatus, uh, uh, Vicky, as you've already pointed out, uh, it, it will be legally binding regulatorily. And that's how they're going to do it, is regulatorily. I think they're also going to do it on a city level. And see, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, this is what it really boils down to, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I've actually seen articles written by patriot writers that say that that uh, this, this Paris conference doesn't really matter that much. I couldn't disagree more because what they're going to do, you know, even though they say it's a, it, they, they pursued a non-binding instrument, a non-binding agreement, 
bottom line is, is when you've got cities voluntarily uh, passing uh, ordinances, implementing it, it doesn't matter if it's considered non-binding or not. The end result is you're bound by it. And, it's, and if you have federal agencies of government writing regulations to adhere to it, it doesn't matter whether it's binding or not. Yeah, you're bound by it. Becomes it becomes binding. Yeah, it becomes yeah. binding. Exactly. And then you got language like like non-party stakeholders. Uh, it says, "Welcome, you know, we welcome the effort of all non-party stakeholders to address and respond." to climate change, including those of civil society, the private sector, financial institutions, cities, and other sub-national authorities. Okay? So then it says in, it, in, we invite the non-party stakeholders referred to in paragraph 134 above to scale up their efforts and support actions to reduce emissions and or to build resilience and decrease vulnerability to the adverse effects of climate change and demonstrate these efforts via the non-state actor zone for C climate action platform. Is that not a mouthful? Referred to in paragraph well, 118 above. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, the United Nations is an association. Mm -hmm. And it's non-governmental organizations, which means associations, non-profits, foundations, they are all the agents of the United Nations, change agents, operating in our communities, lobbying our local elected officials, lobbying state and federal officials, and they're the ones that that are promoting this stuff, and it's outside of government. Mm -hmm. That's why the whole administrative system of government has to be dismantled. And this, this whole system, we have to return to an American form of government where we have elected officials, and the, the elected officials do have a state government, but the state government answers only to the people of Idaho and not outside organizations. They don't, they don't take things like the Uniform Law Commission um, uh, packaged legislation right. and, and implement that into state law. You know, um, as, I, as I read this, it becomes very, very apparent why the United Nations why the United Nations uses the term governance in all of their documents, Vicki. Uh, yes. Because, because this is not legitimate government. It's, it's color of law. It is, to me, my definition of governance is anything that is used to control people. You know, uh, any mechanism. And then we hear, we hear the term corporate governance. That's the same thing, you know. Uh, Corporations form rules for their employees. Corporations form uh, various, you know, if they're contracted, they can form rules for society, you know, in, in various aspects of society, you know, the, with the increasing privatization thing. You know, when we've got well, Blackwater and, 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 you know, corporate policing going on, you know, uh, corporate mercenaries. And so you have control of people. And, and, okay, they say recognizes the need to strengthen knowledge, technologies, technologies, 
practices and efforts of local communities and indigenous people related to addressing and responding to climate change and establishes a platform for the exchange of experiences and sharing of best practices on mitigation and an adaptation in a holistic and integrated manner. Also recognizes the important role of providing incentives for emission reduction activities, including tools such as domestic policies and carbon pricing. And there it is, carbon pricing. Carbon pricing, yep. Well, and, you know, the, the water going in the issue that I was talking about before with the water going over the dam, that's essentially uh, falls under the system of carbon pricing. It, it, uh, they're being charged for the dam, for the use of the water, even though they haven't used it. But the dam is there, and the dam exists to hold the water, so therefore they have to pay the user fee of, you know, uh, of that um, resource. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they started that in 1988, you know, this, this whole thing of user fees. And I remember that really, really well because everybody kind of seemed to jump on the bandwagon. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Everybody should pay their own way. But the thing is is that, um, uh, and, and even I did, I thought, yeah, okay, all of you environmentalists that go climb a mountain and you get stuck up there um, and we have to send search and rescue for you, you should pay for that. Um, but, the, of course, that's not what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're talking about the air that you breathe has a price on it. Right, which means that your life has a price on it. And unless you're producing enough to mitigate that price, you've got a negative family dependency ratio. And yeah, you know what? And and what is what just drives me absolutely crazy is that they are putting um, acts of war into civil terms and making it and it's being discussed in civil society as if it's all very normal when it's completely psychopathic right and um it and it just drives me crazy that's why i really can't i really don't follow the climate change stuff too much because i have a hard time discussing things uh, and reading about things that are completely nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it you know, is nuts. And, 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 yeah, and, and trying to read it as if it makes any sense at all. Unfortunately, See, though, I'm this a, is I'm our... I'm a logical person. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a logical, logical person. I'm a logical person, too. I can't too. do with that I, kind of illogic. I like, to, uh, I like to think I am, anyway. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're too close to the garbage can. We think the whole world stinks. But uh, as I look at this, <laughs> it, it, it's very apparent to me this is our reality. This thing is going to go forward, Vicki, whether we like it or not. Whether we think it's insane or not, this is the, the paradigm that we've been given. Okay, and, and and I don't like it. I'm not saying we shouldn't kick back against it. I, I'm not saying we shouldn't expose it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do all we can to stop it from going forward. But unfortunately, they don't care about science. Science is a religion today. Science is being distorted on purpose. Uh, and really, there is no science 
uh, because the, the real scientists are, are shoved off to the background, bullied, uh, beat up, attacked, and defunded, if they ever had any funding to begin with, to shut them up. And that's the problem. Uh, you know, yeah. we're dealing with this paradigm because it's a political agenda of control. Now, that being said, uh, I, I look at this thing as a backdoor binding. And, 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 and I found some very interesting language in here that I want to share with you. Uh, toward the end, buried all the way in the back of the document, Article 20, listen to this. It says, this agreement shall be open for signature and subject to ratification, acceptance, or approval by states, meaning the nations that are going to agree to it, and regional, and listen to this, regional economic integration organizations. Did you catch that? States, and it's going to be open to states and regional integration, regional economic integration organizations is how they put it. That are parties to well, the convention. Probably means, that probably means the CEC, which is I, I can't remember what that spells out to be, but it's the the North American Environmental Organization for uh, for all of North America. They'll probably sign for us. Well, listen to this. The, 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 our yeah, whole I mean, government. I, I think I think you're right. Okay, now they say uh, therefore this agreement shall be open for accession from the day following the date on which it is closed for signature. Instruments of ratification, acceptance, approval, or accession uh, shall be deposited with the, the depository, and that would be, uh, I guess, the United Nations. Um, anyway, they say, in any regional economic integration organization that becomes a party to this uh, agreement without any of its member states being a party shall be bound by all the obligations under the agreement. In the case Idaho of, is part Idaho is part of one of those economic cooperation organizations. It's the Pacific Northwest Economic Region. Well, my point is that and every isn't every state doesn't every state um, every, have Yeah, but not all of them have signed on to it. Um, Idaho was the first one, I believe, to to actually include British provinces in this organization. And what these idiots and our government did is vote to participate in that as it pertains to energy and natural resources. And what did they do? They signed away their own, they diluted their own authority to control our fate, our, our destiny. And so that's why, that's why the states have to reclaim states' rights, but they have to do it in a holistic fashion, which means that they've got to get out of these, like that PNWER agreement. They've got to get out of that. Well, can't they just because pass a law and say... It's a violation of the Constitution anyway. Right. I, you know, I, with a simple legislative act, they could simply get out of it. They, they, they could make these organizations illegal if they wanted to, I think. Yes, they could and they should. They must. <clears throat> but uh, they say in this uh, Article 20, in such cases, uh, the organization and, and the member states shall not be entitled to exercise rights under this agreement concurrently. Uh, in their instruments of ratification, acceptance, approval, or accession, 
a regional economic integration organizations shall declare the extent of their competence uh, with respect to the matters governed by this agreement. These organizations shall also inform the depository who shall in turn inform the parties of any substantial modification in the extent of their competence. So they're supposed Holy to declare. That's, that's dangerous language. That's very, very bad language. This is how they're going to do it here in the United States, I'm convinced. I mean, this is how they're going to make it binding. They're going to do it regulatorily, but they're also going to do it through these regional organizations. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? Most of our legislators, they don't read anything. Somebody tells them which way to vote, and that's the way they vote. Yep. And we saw that this year with um, a bill called S-1067, which was a state ratification of an international agreement. Participation in an international agreement causing uh, state courts to recognize foreign court orders. And um, I found out the reason for it. It's in the Monterey Consensus, if you want to look it up. Um, that consensus, the Monterey Consensus, called for uh, nation states participating in the UN system to facilitate the uh, transfer of support payments of um, guest workers, migrant workers in a country to facilitate the transfer payments so they can support their families. Mm. And, and so, and and that that legislation and that Hague Convention were incredibly dangerous, but. But the Idaho State Legislature, most of them, voted for it anyway, and they didn't read it. I know they didn't read it. Well, yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty normal these days. As a matter of fact, on a federal level, I mean, it's not just state level, but it's also federal level. They don't even write the legislation, you know, uh, that, that's attributed to them. You know, uh, we found uh, on one of the congressional websites how our laws are made a ghostwriter's view in which the congressional staffers were openly bragging about the fact that they write multiple copies of the same bill for different sides of the issue. And uh, so we they said basically that we're in a perfect position to know what arguments are being formed on all sides because we write multiple copies of the same bill for various people. I mean, the whole thing is a sham. It's just a big show. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that, I didn't know that, but I mean, it doesn't surprise me one bit. Now, it's no longer on the congressional staff. Or, uh, this was actually on a congressional website, and I've got, I've, I think I've got it on Govern America somewhere. Uh, if I can find it on there, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, oh, you should, yeah, because any, and, and the audience should know, anytime you see something like that that's really it. a hot item, copy it, yeah. save it, <laughs> print it, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think stuff like that disappears. Yeah, I think we have John in Tennessee back. John, uh, are you there? Yeah, I am, and I apologize for calling back in, but this is pulling me away. Vicki, you made mention, I don't know if it was pending or if it's already implemented. Am I to understand that when a dam releases water, 
that's not used, and that someone is being paid for that release? Well, the, the water rights users are being charged for it against their allocation of water. Okay, so the Tennessee Valley Authority, which is a governmental agency uh, in, in Tennessee and North Alabama, Dale Hollow Dam, Percy Priest Dam, uh, uh, Cedar Hill Dam, that are all generation dams. When they, when they release water, from one of the dams that's not being turned into money, basically, for sale electricity. Tennessee is being charged according to their allocation of available water. Is that what you're saying? Um, uh, well, I, the dam that they're talking about in Boise it didn't have to do with the generation of electricity. It had to do with the irrigation water. You see, in Idaho, um, farmers have water rights, and those water rights give them a certain allocation of water to irrigate their crops. And so what they're saying is that if, if water is released from the dam for, for flood control purposes or any other purposes um, besides irrigation, the irrigators are going to be charged for that water against their allocation of water rights no matter what, whether they well, use it or not. That brings something else in, into mind. I think it was 2010. I know in 2010 the Nashville area of Middle Tennessee had that flood. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the next year or, or after that flood, we entered into a drought where we had several weeks of 100-degree-plus temperature that was just it destroyed everything. There were, were no crops. I'm wondering if we're not looking uh, with all of this that weather modification and geoengineering is really going full blast. And I know it sounds outrageous, but uh, no, I think you're. I think you're. I think you're right. They've got what they call. They've got what they call the summer pool and the winter pool, where they they actually release and control lake levels uh, according to according to the, the season. So I'm wondering if they're not actually also involved in uh, economic manipulation. I, I would say most definitely. I mean, we, we know that there is an environmental agenda to remove all of the dams, to shut down electricity, to export our, our export everything that we need to produce. Because everything that you do to produce um, it uses... enters into the economy. It enters into the economic situation, absolutely. Right. And the, the way this dam sits, it sits right above Boise. There's a river that flows right through Boise. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's a perfect setup for an extortion. You know, something will happen to this dam if you don't do this. You know, because it would flood that whole, the whole valley. And um, well, I, I, I do think there is extortion involved. That's the only reason I can think of for such absolute stupidity. Well, I, I know that for the, for the TVA, they, they 
basically stole land for less than pennies on the dollar back in, uh-huh. in the late 20s to, to take land that was beautiful bottom land that people literally died died to build, cut down woods, you know, along a, along a river. And it flooded, but they, they had made their living on that good bottom line. They came in and took this land under eminent domain so that they could, quote, control flooding. And that sounds great. But I think that we witnessed four or five years ago in Tennessee controlled flooding, intentionally controlling the flooding, because after the flood, which caused billions of dollars of damage in this in the city. Uh, people were begging the federal government buy me out, buy my land, and they got beautiful bottom land next to the river, basically you know for free. And they turned it into these greenways and bike paths for all of this global, you know, new Babylon in the middle of Tennessee. This, uh-huh. You know, and and that's what they're. I think they're. They're doing that in variable, very, very desirable areas. They're taking land for next to nothing, and the people are thinking they're being given a favor. So anyway, it prompted my call, Darren. I'm sorry. Thank you for letting me call back no, in. That's, that's okay. That's I think okay. This is, it's, it's all about the money. All right. Yep. Thank you, Vicki. Yep. Okay. Thanks, thank John. You. Appreciate your call again. And, folks, uh, you're welcome to call in. We do have another hour left, one eight four four six. Four six eight three seven six. That's one eight four four six govern. One eight four four six govern. Uh, stay with us. Uh, hour number three is straight ahead, folks. And by the way, I did find that how our laws are made a ghostwriter's view, and it's still up there on the house.gov website. <laughs> so uh, stay with us, folks. We'll be back I'll in a moment. Get the link for that. Yeah. All right. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Hour number three is straight ahead. Nearly 4,000 unborn children are denied life and love. National Right to Life is working to change that. For more than 30 years, National Right to Life has worked through education and legislation to make sure that every child is given the opportunity to share their love, their gifts, and their talents with the world. Our work now is more critical than ever. Respect for life is being attacked on all fronts and at all stages, from the tiniest unborn child to the medically dependent and disabled to our elderly citizens. It is the support of our members, pro-life men and women from across the country, that helps to advance our cause. Join with National Right to Life and countless other pro-life men and women and make a unified stand for life. This has been a perspective on life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website, www.nrlc.org. That's nrlc.org.
and tear the elites, the establishment's playhouse down. Welcome back to the broadcast. This is Govern America. Final hour here as we're uh, visiting with Vicki Davis. Channelingreality.com. That's channelingreality.com or thetechnocratictyranny.com. And uh, we hope you folks will uh, share the broadcast with other people as we uh, attempt to wake them up and uh, spread the word, spread the message. Uh, because the things we talk about here often don't get talked about in other parts of the Patriot effort. Uh, it's astounding to me, but that seems to be the case. Uh, you know, uh, Vicki, this uh, this thing uh, on the Congressional website, it's the Office of the Legislative Council, U.S. House of Representatives. And it was written by Sandra Strokoff, Senior Counsel, Office of the Legislative Council, U.S. House of Representatives. She says, frequently on the floor of the House of Representatives, one will hear a member refer to another as the author, quote-unquote, of a bill who has, quote, carefully crafted, unquote, the language of the proposed legislation. Statements like these make me smile because of the members, if the members are the authors, then I and my colleagues in the office of the Legislative Council of the House of Representatives are the ghost writers. The Office of the Legislative Council, created by statute originally in 1918, is currently composed of 30-plus attorneys who generally toil in anonymity, at least as far as those outside the legislative process are concerned. Attorneys are charged with taking the ideas, taking the idea of any member or committee of the House of Representatives, requesting the services of the office, and transforming it into a legislative language or as one of the uh, my clients used to say, the magic words. We participate in all stages of the legislative process, she says, be it preparing a bill for introduction, drafting amendments, participating in any conference of the two houses of Congress to resolve differences between the two versions of the bill, or incorporating changes in the bill at each stage for publication and ultimately for presentation to the president. Frequently, now this is what I was referring to, frequently we draft while debate is going on both during committee consideration and on the House floor, and we may be asked to explain the meaning or effect of legislative language. Okay, that wasn't the part I was thinking of. Although the office has drafting manuals and guidelines, drafting legislation is without question a matter of on-the-job training. For up to two years, a new attorney in the office while communicating directly with clients uh, congressional staff members, but occasionally the members themselves, on legislative requests, works under the tutelage of a senior attorney in preparing for introduction a wide variety of bills to gain as much experience as possible in developing drafting skills. Typically, only legislation that is unlikely to pass is given to a new attorney. Ironically, a new attorney's work will almost always include drafting a few amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Anyway, uh, 
I don't know how much of this I want to read. I was I was trying to find the right the right part here. Okay, here it is, I think. We draft legislation for all sides on the issues at the same time, both Republicans and Democrats, and factions within each party. We may be drafting the same legislation for different individuals. At times, it would be much more efficient to be able to hook up several different clients. We want to do roughly the same thing at the same time. Who want to do roughly the same thing at the same time? Instead of having to produce multiple documents with enough modifications to make them look different. But we are strictly bound by the rules of attorney-client confidentiality. We are therefore frequently in the position of knowing what all sides are up to before anyone else does. Can you believe this? <laughs> wow. What a place to be in. What a spot to be in. Yeah. And, of course, they can't because they're bound by the attorney-client privilege, she says. They can't say anything. But, I mean, you read this and you think, what a sham. The whole thing is just theater. You know, when they get up yep. and, and spout off the mouth on the congressional floor, they don't read it. They don't write it. These people are just figureheads for a machine. Yes, they're just puppets, actually. I, I figured that out with the uh, Agenda 21. Um, what they did in 93 was to pass a resolution, or not, they didn't pass it, but, I mean, um, they came up with a resolution that was put before Congress, and I don't know if they passed it or not, but um, over the next... Up to yesterday, they've been implementing pieces of it. So, so even though they never voted on Agenda 21 per se, they have been implementing it over time. Right. And that's the way that's the way the the Congress works. But you know, every administration that comes in. They, they give names, new names for their programs. Well, the new names are, are just new names for the same programs, for the same agenda. So the administrative state keeps rolling right along. You know, so it doesn't matter who you elect as the figurehead. Um, the, the agenda rolls on. Yeah. So it is a sham. The whole thing is a sham. And uh, I would, uh, I would also. Recently, there was a report. By the way, earlier we were talking about the congressional passage of the omnibus bill. There's some. There's a lot of things in that bill, Vicky. Uh, it was over 2,400 pages, is my understanding. And as a part of that, you know, we talk, you know, with you and frequently on the broadcast about the EB-5 uh, workers visa program, uh, you know, where yeah. you know, foreigners can, can buy their way into the United States. Uh, you know, communist China has taken big advantage of that. If they have a half a million or a million dollars, depending upon the area, they can bu literally buy permanent residency in the United States. Congress, you know, again, Republican-controlled Congress, uh, has just passed as a part of this omnibus bill. Uh, they've extended that through September 30th. 
of next yeah. year. They're, they are they are recolonizing our country, which is why that that declaration that I found that was passed in 1960 um, just. You know, it was like red flashing lights and signals because um, we, we, there are visa programs. There are about 70 different kinds of visas. And um, in the thing, in that uh, clip that you played, they mentioned the H2, H2A visa, I think it was, or H2B. I think they mentioned um, the B one. Those are, those are like farm workers and low-level workers. The H-1B program is for white-collar workers. Um, there are 70 different types of visas, and they are just massively increasing the numbers of visas. Okay, we've got illegal immigration because they passed the, you know, the... Um, they, they created the uh, free trade area of the Americas with the NAFTA agreement. So really, they, they lowered our borders, although they're not really telling people that. So illegals are no longer illegal. They just come across the border. And, and then we have this refugee thing. And I, I just watched yesterday a TED Talk with Antonio Gutierrez, or whatever his name is, who is the High Commissioner for Refugees, the mm -hmm. UN High Commissioner for Refugees, and um, he was talking about the how we have an obligation to take in all of these people. And the the guy who was interviewing him said, "Well, are there any limits?" And the guy basically said, "No, there are no limits because because under the human rights thing, we have an obligation to take care of all these people." Well, you know, and that's what I was talking about, how, how these, these acts of war are being put into civil society terms, and they're being discussed as if they are rational civil society initiatives, when what it actually is is war on us. Yeah. This is an occupation that's happening. Absolutely. And they're, they're using... They're using every possible means to flood the country with foreigners. Yeah, and uh, increasingly, uh, you know, we're supposed to believe, I guess, that all these foreign children are lining up at the border. How are they being brought in? You know, do children just wander to, you know, I mean, the buildup again is, is, is continuing. Uh, it's going on again. You know, what we got some months ago. Uh, this whole thing is continuing again. The first of 500 undocumented immigrant children fleeing Central America arrived at a church retreat facility in Ellis County this afternoon. David Schechter is here with more. Yes, just moments ago we did see the first batch of unaccompanied minors arrive here at this retreat facility in Ellis County. There were two buses. The county says, uh, county sheriff says there were 50 kids on board. The rest of the people were staff. This is entirely a federal operation. All the security services required to house and care for about 500 kids will be handled by government contractors who we've seen here. Well, this operation is to pair up the kids with a family member already here in this country and release the children into their custody. The Ellis County Sheriff tells us he's toured the facility. He's confident there are no security issues for either the kids or the community. But he heard from, we heard from a county commissioner who's concerned that there could be a public safety threat. And more than that, he's upset the county has been caught off guard. 
We would have liked a little bit more lead time in order to prepare for this, at the very least. And speaking for me and a lot of my residents, maybe not all of them, we wish this hadn't happened to this county at all. This is happening because a major uptick in border crossings from children coming from El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala in the last two months where gang activity down there has become rampant. The sheriff here says to expect the buses to arrive over the course of the next 10 days to bring all 500 children here. We're told the facility will not be longer open longer than 21 days. I'm David Schechter in Ellis County. Now back. So gang activity has become rampant. So let's just bring them in here. That's what right. I'm hearing. And, and there'll be gang activity in every damn country in the world um, uh, operating, you know, just um, stirring up the population, creating refugees, and they all end up over here and over in Europe. I mean, you know, it's so so obvious. It's so blatantly obvious. I just I can't stand it that, that, that people speak about it in civil terms. I know. I know, and uh, <laughs> I, I just wonder where the American people's voice is. That's the thing. Have they been so bullied and beaten and browbeat that they're just not willing to stand up and say something? I think so. I think so. That's the only thing I can think of is that um, people are intimidated, you know, because of this always, always, if you say anything, you're a racist. Yes, the bullying. You, know, you, you could be married married to a minority, but if you're still, you know, if you still say anything, then oh, you're a racist. You know, nobody wants to be painted as as a a, a bad person, but you know, you you just can't let people walk on you like that. Yeah. And, you know. And they've, Ob- they've just pushed too far. And Obama's getting ready. Uh, by the way, as they bring the. Uh, the migrants and the gang bangers from Central America in. Uh, he's preparing an executive order. President Barack Obama met Wednesday with former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg as his administration prepares an executive order tightening access to guns. Bloomberg is a proponent of new gun laws who has become the chief enemy of the National Rifle Association. As his aides complete work on a potential order expected to expand background checks on gun sales by closing the so-called gun show loophole, Obama has met with a series of gun control advocates in recent weeks. The timeline on the order, which has been tangled in legal and administrative questions, is still unknown. The president met with former U.S. Representative Gabby Giffords, who was gravely wounded during a 2011 shooting in Tucson, Arizona, on December 4th to discuss gun control. But even as he works to tighten access to firearms, a new survey shows dwindling support for an outright ban on assault weapons, which both Obama and Bloomberg have advocated as a means to prevent gun deaths. So there you go, deliberately making us vulnerable as they flood us with terrorists, gangbangers, and God knows who else. Yeah, right. And and who should be on the front lines with us trying to stop this are the police, because they're on the front lines. Yeah, and they're they're being targeted deliberately, uh, and, and to be fair, I mean, there's a lot of cops that are bullies. Uh, and 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 beat people to death on the side of a road, you know. I mean, there, the police brutality is not something that's new. It's come to the forefront uh, in recent days because 
I think a lot of it is, I think there is more of it going on. At least that's the sense I get. But a lot of it, too, has to do with the fact that we, we have a proliferation of cameras everywhere now, which can capture this stuff more than ever before. Uh, where, you know, before people didn't have cameras on their phones, they could record videos and capture this stuff. Now they can in real time and sometimes stream it live as it, as it happens. So right. some of it might but, very but well we be... Also, Go ahead. Yeah. We also have a lot of Marxist agitators. Yeah, there you go. Who, who are going out and tormenting the police. And when you torment the police, it's like tormenting the neighbor's pit bull. You know, when he gets loose, he's going to hurt you. And, and that's happening, too. Right. You know? So, um, but, yeah, but it's, it's the, the the problem with 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 the the cops is we don't want federal takeover of our local law enforcement, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God, no! You're right about that. And, and that is what the solution that's being presented by the Justice Department is. This whole community-oriented policing service bullcrap is a federal slash international takeover. You know, and we come back to the safe cities, this whole safe cities thing, uh, which is the initiative of the Justice Department being pushed in cities. I, I am convinced that much of the global governance system uh, is being slipped in uh, with big city government because the vast majority of the people live in big cities. Yeah, I agree. They can't do it yep. through normal congressional legislative means. Uh, so they're going to do it through whatever means they can and pushing it through in city government, state government, wherever they can. But they'll just bypass the states and go right to the cities or the regions. So Yeah, a number, they, a number of years ago... There was an initiative, uh, it was called the Global Cities Initiative, and about five or six of the largest cities in this country signed on to it. And basically they were um, uh, set, setting their allegiance to the United Nations system. Mm-hmm. And, but but the media didn't cover it that way. As a matter of fact, of course not. media did did not cover it at all. Yep. You know that was found by a, a, one of my friend researchers, and uh, it was posted on a website. And and San Francisco was one of the cities, one of the lead cities in it, of course, as you would expect. And I think Chicago was one, New York. Um. But it's um, yeah. So so they are changing allegiances right before our eyes. But because we we don't really have a, an American Justice Department, the the U.S. Justice Department is part of the whole system that really is a front for the United Nations system. Right. Exactly. You know, and another thing that, you know, and we come back to the technology involved with these safe city networks, uh, it's all going to be uh, based upon surveillance. It's going to be based upon tracking people uh, on the Internet. And, and, and you're familiar with the CISA, right, CISA? This, uh, I, I saw a reference to that recently, but I didn't read it because I've been so involved in the Hammond 
Well, this uh, it's a, this cyber, it basically is the Cyber Information Sharing Act. And this is, you remember when the whole Edward Snowden NSA thing, you know, Obama came out with a speech saying that uh, we're going to do reforms. And basically his, only, his major reform was is that the corporations are going to hold the data instead of the government. And the government would be able to come in and get the information wherever, uh, wherever they, whenever they wanted. And now this uh, CISA, this Cyber Information Sharing Act, would basically hold corporations harmless they cannot be sued if they rat on their users. Okay, that's the summary of it, and it would do a whole lot more. That also was slipped into this omnibus bill. Mike Lee says a pre-Christmas surprise has been sneaked into a massive new government spending bill. And he says this surprise is no gift. It could compromise your privacy. Brian Malahi on this story for us. Well, to hear Senator Mike Lee tell it, a threat to your privacy is what's wrong with it. And the founder of X-Mission, an Internet service provider here in downtown Salt Lake City, a founder who once ran for U.S. Senate as a Democrat, says on this issue, Lee is right. Not just protest. His actions were once tagged as leading to a government shutdown. Senator Mike Lee denied it then and said it's not his aim this time. Lee Thursday took to Facebook and Twitter with concerns over privacy and personal information contained in a new budget bill worked out by congressional leaders. Lee said it could put your personal information at risk. The cybersecurity language, for instance, immunizes technology companies. From Washington, Lee said current digital rights you have would be wronged. Even where there is gross negligence on the part of the company providing the personally identifying information to the government, uh, the, the, the company can't be sued by the customer. Wired.com said the language could allow companies to hand information directly to law enforcement and intelligence agencies. Reasonable request. Ex-Mission founder Pete Ashdown told me today that government agencies have come to his business seeking names and addresses of clients, something he says he will only supply with a warrant. He says the cybersecurity language in the omnibus bill, as it's being called in Washington, is wrong and should be removed. What do you think of that, Vicky? Basically, your corporations are all going to be spying on their users, turning the information over to the government, the companies that you pay every day. You know, and I, I say utility companies, too, because this smart grid has been being put into place with all the smart meters and the uh, smart appliances. This is all going to be a part of that. I, I'm convinced. This is literally a global well, technocratic grid. to be, Darren, because in order to implement this carbon currency, this carbon trading system, they have to track everything you do, absolutely everything you do, in order to have a, an accounting system. Yep. It's an accounting system. Um, so so you're on, it's like being on the clock 24-7 at your, at your job, but it's not your job, it's your life. Yeah. And they will measure everything you do. Yeah, and we were, we were reading from the, from the Paris Agreement earlier, talking about the accounting system and how nations are going to have to put nations or organizations or regional bodies or, you know, non-state actors, <laughs> whoever is a party to the agreement, uh, would have to uh, have accounting uh, mechanisms in place 
this is what the smart grid is for. Yes, that's exactly right. At one point, I considered spray painting my car. You know, wake up, you people. <laughs> wake up. Yeah. But, um, be, but because it's all talked about in very polite society, civil terms, I don't know. Maybe people aren't able to extrapolate the ideas. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why they don't get it. <laughs> well, some of them do. Clear to me. The problem is many of them get their information from Facebook, and people are just not paying attention in a large part. Uh, although, honestly, there are the people around me anyway that I talk to on a daily basis, more and more uh, they're <laughs> seeing things that, that a year ago or five years ago they would have called me uh, crazy. You know, and, and and they're coming out with the same type of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, it does give well, me some hope, I, I but it's say, go ahead. Yeah, I have to say it's happening here too. So, so my frustration that I just expressed actually goes back a bit. I I agree with you. People are waking up. I just, you know, it's kind of like turning the Titanic, though. Yeah. You know, we um, it's, it's going to take all hands on deck to do it. I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, the role of Pakistan here, because I, you wrote about that, and I think that the, uh, it, it, it's, I found something in this in the Paris Agreement that I was reading on Thursday that uh, brought me to a line of research where, if I can find it, um, hmm. First of all, we got the Green Climate Fund. Oh, that's another thing that's in the omnibus spending bill. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. Folks, the Republicans really sold you out. Uh, CNS News reports, what better time than Christmas to spend other people's money and give presents to the environmental activists, in addition to the other generous handouts renewable companies would receive in the omnibus spending bill, Backroom negotiators are also pushing for President Barack Obama's $3 billion pledge for the Green Climate Fund. Now, folks, the Green Climate Fund, in case you didn't know, is specifically mentioned in the Paris Agreement. Okay? Um, I think the World Bank is in charge of that, if I remember right. Uh, it's a key is that a replacement for the Millennium Development Fund? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I can't answer that. But I do know that uh, I think the World Bank is in charge of it, uh, and I've, it is a key component of the Paris climate talks. Anyway, they're funding this uh, to the tune of, I guess, I, it looks like $3 billion in the uh, green, in the, uh, let's see, according to Bloomberg, the trade-off for lifting the decades-old ban on crude oil exports would be authorizing $3 billion for the Green Climate Fund. I bet you can do a lot with uh, $3 billion. Tell you what, we got the bottom of the hour break. We'll continue with more information on the other side. Stay with us, folks. This is Governor America. Vicki Davis is here. I'm Darren Weeks, and we'll be back in a moment.
sound of the heartbeat of an unborn baby just 28 days after conception. Every day, more than 3,000 abortions are performed in this country, and each abortion stops the heartbeat of a living unborn baby. Since 1973, the annual number of abortions has gone from approximately 750,000 a year to just under 1.3 million. Abortion isn't rare or safe, only legal. Legalized abortion on demand has taken the lives of more than 50 million unborn children and left those women who have had abortions more vulnerable to physical, mental, and emotional complications. We at National Right to Life are working to break this cycle. We are working for the day when both mother and child will be welcomed, loved, and protected. Won't you help us? This has been a Perspective on Life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website, nrlc.org. We're here in the desert where Amazing Ellen has been lowered down into this pit of poisonous snakes. Guys, snake here! Look at my toes! Bummer you wore sandals today, Ellen. What am I supposed to be illustrating? Go away, shoot. Well, you see that cell phone in your hand? Oh, uh, I call emergency to illustrate the power of prayer? No. I call a snake expert to illustrate God's all-knowing powers? No, not exactly, Ellen. So, who am I supposed to call? Call your mother and tell her you love her. That's not going to help me. It's a good deed that will help you feel good about yourself. But I'm still stuck in a snake pit. That's the point, Alan. Some people believe that if they do things that make them feel good about themselves, they can get into heaven. But they still need the sacrifice Jesus made to remove their sin. Okay, go ahead and call. from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale, and never tried it again. And didn't inhale, and never tried it again. of the uh, broadcast, final half hour, as we're visiting with Vicki Davis, channelingreality.com, that's channelingreality.com, or thetechnocratictyranny.com are her websites, and they're linked up with ours at governamerica.com. As we uh, continue here, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to come back real quick here with to this, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about the omnibus bill, the various things that are in it, but, uh, you know, I wonder... To what extent you you write about the Rockefellers destroying our country and Nelson Rockefeller in particular? We were talking earlier, uh, Vicky, about how the, there's the regional 
bodies that are specifically cited in the Paris Agreement, and and this is how they're going to get the job done. But it was the Rockefellers, and particularly Nelson Rockefeller, that was responsible originally for inclusion of the United Nations recognition for regional PACs, wasn't it? Yes, that's correct. Uh huh. He had been the uh, uh, ambassador for inter-American affairs uh, down in South America, and um, it was ECLAC, uh, the Environ- uh, Economic Cooperation something uh, of Latin America that was the first re- regional organization to be recognized by the United Nations. And it was from that uh, pact, I, ultimately, that led to um, what has become a common market of the Americas. Yeah. Um, ba- which is basically the end of the United States as a nation state. Well, and these free trade agreements uh, take this to the next level. You know, did you happen to see that tribunal ruling uh, for the country of origin labeling law? Uh, the, what they call cool country of origin meat, meat labeling. Uh, the U.S. was just slapped with a two hundred billion dollar fine. We uh, during the negotiations for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, we keep we keep hearing the other side tell us things like these these tribunals are not that you know the the, the United States has never lost a case that. Well, that's not true. They lose every one. They don't. They never win. I've I've heard them say that though. They've actually tried to say that the United States has never lost a case. Well, they have now. If they haven't before, two hundred billion dollars for the country of origin meat labeling law. That just basically the the United States government put that on there so people know where their meat's coming from. So you right. can choose to buy American beef or not. And, and I do. I only I look I look for that label, and I only buy American beef. Well, this uh, international tribunal and whether or not the United States government pays it, which they probably will, I really think that they should say, you know what, go pound sand. But they won't. Well, that's why the the United States has to get out of the UN. The, it, the uh, Bretton Woods agreements, um, all of that over those 40 years, you know, when they were negotiating those so-called trade agreements that weren't really trade agreements at all, um, that was all part of the process to set up the uh, international trading organization that was supposed to set the rules for international commerce. Well. So so it's not really a separate system. The, the World Trade Organization, even though not formally attached to the United Nations, it's an international organization, they, they've basically signed away the sovereignty of this country. Right. To this, to this international system, and we, we absolutely have to start rolling it back. Well, in my... Uh in my research on the climate change stuff, I came across something that they mentioned in there that I did a search and I found the web-based portal for capacity building, 
of development sector enterprises in Pakistan, which was really interesting because after that I, I read what you had written <laughs> about the Trans-Paki Corridor. And it, it, it all fits together perfectly, what they call the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. And, and you're right in your thesis that Pakistan is going to be a major manufacturing hub. Yeah, yeah, it's a major transportation hub. And um, it, and the reason why I wrote that, I knew they were going to do that because I watched a program on C-SPAN a number of years ago about the Pakistan Economic Development Plan. And, you know, so I knew it was coming. And I, I forget what I saw. Oh, yeah, I saw a program on C-SPAN, you know, with the ambassador in Washington, D.C., talking about the, the Pakistan Economic Development Plan. And lo and behold, it was the same economic development plan that Mexico had um, that uh, they wrote it in 1995 with the communist Chinese, of course, developing the ports in southern Mexico and um, uh, defining inland ports going through Mexico coming up into Kansas City, right? Mm -hmm. Trans-Texas Corridor, there you go. Yep. And that's what the trans, the, the Pakistan Trans-China Corridor is all about. It's exactly the same plan. Yeah, and uh, China has just invested $46 billion. No expense was spared as Pakistan welcomed Chinese leader Xi Jinping to Islamabad. From the red carpet to a military review to addressing Pakistan's parliament to being awarded a top civilian honor, Pakistan was keen to make an impact. It comes from an already close friendship between the two countries rather than a need to impress. Our friendship is higher than mountains deeper than oceans, sweeter than honey. Now listen to this. This is the Pakistani guy. He's waxing poetic here. And stronger than steel. President Xi calls the trip like visiting a brother's home. But the visit has significant implications for both countries. For Pakistan, $46 billion worth of investments over the next 15 years in the country's creaking infrastructure, energy and transport, the key targets there. Along a new corridor that stretches from the port city of Gwadar near Pakistan's border with Iran all the way through to Kashgar in China's far west. This corridor will benefit all provinces and areas in Pakistan and transform our country into a regional hub and pivot for com commerce and investment. It will catch that regional hub enable China to create a shorter and cheaper route for trade and investment with South, Central and West Asia and the Middle East and Africa. The deal also a security issue for China. As the world's biggest oil importer, the corridor will serve as a pipeline for crude and gas from the Persian Gulf, a more secure route than shipping it through Southeast Asia. All this, just the latest move in China's ever-expanding economic footprint. President Xi's vision resurrecting the fabled Silk Route, a trading bridge between East and West across land and in the 21st century across the sea as well. 
In reality, Xi's vision is more silk maze than silk route. Three separate planned routes crossing China, Central Asia and Europe, one of which will be going to Pakistan. And along it, those $46 billion worth of development projects. There may be one other strategic reason for the deal, say analysts. China wants more from Pakistan in the struggle against homegrown extremism. China worries that Islamic militants from Pakistan's lawless tribal regions are crossing the border into China to support China's own separatists based in the Xinjiang province. The Chinese side highly appreciates Pakistani side's outstanding contribution to the international counter-terrorism efforts. communication. Right, I don't know how much of that we want to play because it's hard to understand anyway, but the main thing out of that whole thing is the manufacturing hubs the $46 billion investment, and the fact that they're making a corridor, as you've pointed out, very much the same as the Trans-Texas corridor here that they were trying to build here in the United States. It's yeah. remarkable. And and the, the plan is the, the, for the global transportation system for commerce, they will be building that kind of corridor everywhere in the world to every major population hub in the world, and, and it, it's a cookie-cutter plan. Mm-hmm. And who will be paying for it? Well, the United States will be paying for the technology, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and the Chinese apparently are, are paying for the, the roads and ports. Aren't we uh, laying fiber in Pakistan right now? Probably. I thought I'm I read sure that in your writings. Well, that was part of the deal, was that the United States would be involved with the information systems. And the reason why is because of the world um, customs system. And and another thing, too, is remember a while back when you mentioned the um, small island... Right. Uh, development. Yeah, small islands that, that are set aside in the U.N. plan. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that includes Trojan triangles, the, the hubs, the transportation hubs, the regional transportation hubs. I think they are the logical islands what do you that mean? are included. What, what do you mean by logical islands? Well, if, if you take the center of the country, like Kansas City, mm-hmm. um, Kansas City, it's all dry land. Yeah, which but is an inland does, port, by the way. Right, we right. It, and an inland port is a logical island. Okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in other words, the ports, if we think of uh, like like an ocean port on, a, on an ocean, um, these ports would be hubs, centers of activity, import, export, uh, places where economic commerce comes into the country and goes out of the country, and around That's it is correct. a sea of what? Nothingless. Well, on a on a on a sea coast, yeah, there is the land and the sea, and so the the port area is kind of a half moon shape. You could think of it like a half moon. But if you are talking about inland, where it's a land-based port, then it then it it can be circular. And if you notice, all of our transportation plans, you know, for the last 
zillion years have been circular hubs, right? And so um, the the inland ports um, are are also I picture them as circles, and so. And because they are under international law, if you've got a foreign trade zone there and an international airport, then then you have an international hub. That area becomes a logical island mm. as as part of the international transportation system for commerce. So, what do we know about this knowledge corridor that the United States is? Uh investing in uh, Pakistan, uh, I, I presume, you know, the, uh, they're going to bring Pakistani students to the United States and in, in, in universities and uh, probably encourage U.S. students to go there. Uh, you know, that seems yeah, to be the model. Yeah. Yes, it's a complete exchange. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, on the campus of the university, like, you know, I know from Michigan State University, uh, but I'm sure other universities as well, they, they, they have a study abroad program, and they're always pushing students to go study abroad. And I don't know that this has always been the case, but they're certainly pushing it in a big way now. Everybody is encouraged to, you know, internationalize and go global. Export your production, import your consumption. Our young people are and your labor. And so we need to export them so that they have an opportunity in life because they will not have opportunities in this country because the opportunities in this country are being given to foreigners. There you go. So I guess they're uh, preparing to try to come up with uh, 10,000 uh, new PhDs from Pakistan in, in, over the next 10 years. Is that correct? Yeah. What's, and what's that going to do to American students? Squeeze them out. They, they, are, they, are, they have already been pushed out of PhD programs and um, the higher, higher education. They've already been pushed out by India. Indians, because Clinton signed the Knowledge Trade Initiative with Vajpayee of uh, India in, I think it was the year 2000. They, they set up the Knowledge Trade Initiative. And, and what that Knowledge Corridor has to do with is that part of the, the plan for the global transportation system, it's not just transportation, but it includes connecting up all of the universities in the world, too. And so that knowledge corridor will connect universities in Pakistan to universities in the United States. This looks to like like the reason why that universities have been allowed to become so powerful, so successful, uh, that they're a major part of the plan for control. And not just oh, with, with regard to indoctrination, but with regard to the economy as well. Um, yes, they are the kingmakers in this new system. Hmm. The universities will actually be the, the controllers of, of young people's economic fate in, in this country. 
see, they are gradually, when they started privatizing the functions of government, they were, what they were really doing is transferring the authority of government to um, private entities, you know, whether it was an independent agency of government or whether they transfer functions to uh, a private organization that's a public-private partnership. However they did it, what they were doing is devolving the construction of the American government. And now, you know, whenever you get rid of a government function and transfer it off, somebody has to get it. And in the design of the global economy, the universities and the schools really will be the masters. Yeah. The masters of people in an area. So I guess... Uh, masters of their fate. These, uh, Pakistan also is developing these special economic zones as well then. Yes. Yes, that was, that's part of the plan. That's part of the design. You know, it makes me think a, that the reason why Obama invited some of these uh, terrorist groups, like, you know, we, we hear about the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood making, you know, their trips to the White House, but we know that the uh, the other uh, other organizations have been invited as well, and the United States government has long had a history of working with the Taliban, you know, so this this cooperation with uh, what you know on the one hand the State Department calls terrorist groups, but on the other hand they're doing business, and I it just comes back to Marie Harf, uh, this former State State Department uh, spokeshole, you know, who used to be you know when she was the mouthpiece for the State Department monster. Uh, she said, you know, we've got a very powerful brand. We're we're working to further the brand, the United States brand, is how she put it. And the State Department well, is doing business. In order to, in order to implement this plan of this global system, they really have to work against the people and the government of every country in the world. Yeah, it's not just our government working against us. It's other people's government working against them as well. Right, right. Well, and the terrorists in their country are actually working towards implementing, changing the culture and implementing these global systems. Yeah. So the problems they're having in their foreign country are the same problems that we're having here for the same reason. But all you have to do is mirror mirror the agenda, and you see it. It's the same thing. That's, that's really why I did that Pakistan story. Yeah, well, it's very important. Very important for people to understand the cookie-cutter approach. Because if something works in one place, they're going to do it every place. Why wouldn't they? It just makes sense, you know. And as we're hearing well, they, about, they have, yeah, they have, they have it all planned out, all mapped out. Um, Clinton, Bill Clinton, gave the communist Chinese satellite technology, and and I think that the, the Chinese use that technology to map out the global transportation system. Because if you look at the activities of Hutchison Wampoa, um, 
uh, around the world, you know, they uh, forget where where they were if they were involved in the uh, ports in Mexico, but I believe they were. Well, they certainly got the but Panama sure Canal. That, yeah, and I'm sure that they were involved in the ports in the in the Bahamas. Okay, so so I think they're the ones that mapped out the transportation systems for the entire world. Yep. And um, there was a, uh, let's see, I think it was called the, the Bogar Goals. There was a meeting in, in Bogar, Indonesia, and there was uh, a cadaster plan, which was to map out all of the land in all of the world to have it in computer systems, all mapped out as part of the, the UN system. Mm. And uh, Bill Clinton did that to us. So. Yeah, well, you know, as we say, uh, you know, it's become kind of a mantra, this broadcast, destroying America has been a bipartisan effort, you know, because uh, yes. we, we see that over and over again. You know, at one time we could at least uh, count on the Republicans trying to pretend that they were doing something to ward off the uh, the attacks of the uh, Democrats, but I can't tell the difference anymore. I literally can't. No. I mean, you know, trillion dollar spending bills in Congress, you know, twenty four hundred page plus omnibus bills that are being passed. I mean, the treachery is just off the charts. And, 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 you know, yeah, and I see really this. they really aren't even hiding it anymore. No, they're not even hiding it. And it comes back to what uh, what was his name who said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking out at the title of the uh, book, but as one of the major players, he said that the two parties would be the same and there wouldn't be any difference. You couldn't tell the difference. You know, one would say one thing. You know, they, but, but basically the end result would be you could vote the rascals out and um, – it was, it was Bill Clinton's mentor at Georgetown. Um, gosh, his, his name is... Oh, Tragedy and Hope, Carol Quigley. Carol Quigley, that's it. Yeah. And, and, and you can see very clearly that has come to pass. I mean, yeah. they can vote the rascals out, and guess what? You get more rascals. They're not rascals, though. They're scumbag traitors to this country. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the only thing that changes from country to country is the rhetoric, but the governments of the country, and in particular the developed countries, have become just nothing more than puppets, facades, facades of what was the American government, but they really are not the American government. Yep, yep, which are made up of nothing but terrorists. Uh, in the in the waning moments of the broadcast, I find it interesting uh, that 72 Department of Homeland Security officials uh, apparently are on the terrorist watch list, Vicki. So earlier this month, 47 Democrats in the House of Representatives defied a White House veto threat by backing a GOP bill to ramp up screening requirements for Syrian and Iraqi refugees. Congressman Stephen Lynch from Boston was among them. He joins us to talk about the reasoning behind his vote. Because of the disastrous results we've had so far with the screening process, uh, especially with the Department of Homeland Security, uh, I think it, it is a very good idea to have another set of eyeballs looking at that process. Uh, back in August, uh, we did an investigation, uh, the Inspector General did, of Department of Homeland Security, and, and they had 72 
individuals who are on the terrorist watch list they're actually working at the Department of Homeland Security so obviously the director had to resign because of that and then then we went further and did an eight airport uh, investigation we had we had uh, staffers go into eight different airports to to test the Department of Homeland Security screening process at, at major airports and they had a 95% failure rate so we had folks we, this was a testing uh, exercise, but folks going in there with, you know, guns on their uh, ankles and, and uh, you know, uh, other weapons uh, on their persons, and there was a 95% failure rate. So I have very, very low confidence based on empirical data that we've, we've got uh, on Department of Homeland Security. You know what I want to know is why does why is 72 Department of Homeland Security employees why are they on the terrorist watch list? There's the real story. Yeah. What are they engaged in? Uh, well, it's the exchange <laughs> program. Let's just call it that. The the uh, population exchange program. Vicki, we're at the end of another three hours. Thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate your research, your knowledge. Folks, go to our website, channelingreality.com or thetechnocratictyranny.com. Check out all of our research and information, and we'll do it again real soon. Vicki? Okay, thank you, Darren. I always like being on your program. Always enjoyable, always stimulating conversation. Appreciate it. Folks, uh, join us again next week. Pray for this republic. Do what you can to restore it. And God bless each and every one of you. We appreciate you. Talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Hello, folks. This is Darren Weeks. Govern America will return live on January 2nd next week. We'll be going back live next week, January 2nd. Please tune in, and thanks for being with us. Wise men follow you. Thank God for the money.
that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $9.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system.
welcome to the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast. I'm Jason Burton, broadcasting out of windy, cold, and rainy Union City, Indiana. We've had about five inches of rain over the last three days, but hey, we're not drowning yet. I'll tell you, if the part of Indiana that I am in goes underwater, head for the hills. We are at the highest point of Indiana here in this part of the state, a little bit over 1,000 feet. Now, I know you folks that are living in the mountain states are laughing at us there, but, uh, hey, everything runs downhill from here. We've got about six different rivers that start within 30 miles of us. And so, uh, yeah, we're not in any major risk of drowning, particularly at my house, because we don't have any rivers nearby. But I praise the Lord for being able to be on the air tonight. Unfortunately, we are without the big squeaky chair tonight. The only mega uh, church pastor in Payson, Arizona, Pastor Anthony Grissy, was unable to be on the air tonight. Apparently, they're having cold weather in Phoenix, and we we think maybe perhaps the uh, the other host of this broadcast has frozen to death because when things get as cold as they are in Phoenix, Arizona, it just gets ugly. You've got uh, people having to go out and buy coats for the first time. And uh, and so I think they actually hit freezing down in Phoenix, which uh, is a natural disaster. I'm sure Obama will be sending the funds out as soon as, oh, wait a second. It's a it's a red state. And no, he's not going to be sending anything. You Arizonians, you can fend for yourselves anyway. I still am an Arizonian at heart, and I know that you can do it and uh, make it through that 32-degree weather. And everybody in the rest of the country currently is laughing at you, except perhaps those in Florida or Southern California. No, folks, it is good to be with you this evening. Um, If you want to contact this radio broadcast, get a hold of me or Pastor Anthony Garissi, you can do so through the following way. First of all, I'm going to give my contact information. The best way to get a hold of me, because I, uh, I get email straight to me on my smartphone, is to email me. So you can email me at refreshedaz at hotmail.com. That's R-E-F as in Frank, the guy that makes things happen on the American Voice Radio Network. R-E-F as in Frank, R-E-S as in Sam, H-E-D-A-Z at hotmail.com. And I will answer you back if you email me there and it doesn't go into the junk folder. So if you're going to email me, don't put in the subject line something about uh, selling me something because it will probably get filtered out. Um, but I'd love to hear from you from email nonetheless. Also, you can contact me through the ELC website. I am the research director of the Ecclesiastical Law Center, and we've got a website, lordshipchurches.info. Very easy to remember, fairly short, lordshipchurches.info, and on there you've got a comment box that you can fill in your information, and that'll go to me as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you through those uh, through those ways. And also, if you want to get a hold of Pastor Anthony Garissi, the missing, frozen member of this broadcast uh, somewhere in Arizona at large right now, um, you can do so through his email address. That's pastor at paysonfirstbaptistchurch.net. Or you can uh, actually give him a phone call. Now, he won't be there right now, probably, and who knows if he'll return your call. But I can go ahead and give that number. That's area code 928 474 3530, that's 928-474-3530, or you can mail him. Now imagine this. Yes, they still have post offices, folks. Yes, you can just buy a stamp and put it on a on, a, on an envelope with a piece of paper in there and send it to him. I'm going to give you his email, or no, not his email, his, his snail mail address. 
That's 303 West Main Street, Payson, Arizona, 85541. Uh, write that to Payson First Baptist Church, 303 West Main Street, Payson, Arizona. Uh, I just said the zip code, 85541, and uh, he'll get back to you, or Payson at, or pastor at So anyway, a number of ways that you can get a hold of us. There have been a lot of things in the news this week. Most notably, uh, Christmas is done and over with. Those of you who uh, get really uptight this time of year because Christmas really is the most stressful time of the year. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Here comes the new year. Here comes, and get this, folks, with great fanfare, here comes the last year of Obama's presidency. Oh, unless, of course, he uh, decides to declare martial law. But uh, barring that happening, this is going to be the last year, and we get to deal with a different New World Order shill who is up there simply doing what the Bilderbergers and the Rothschilds tell him to do. But hey, or her, at least it'll be a different face on the presidency of the United States. And you never know how the Lord can work. Folks, this is a controversy and conspiracy program. Uh, We specifically deal with Christian controversy and conspiracy. We refer to the Word of God. We believe the Word of God is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice in the King James Bible. And we have a final authority that we can rely on that God has given to us that tells us how he wants us to live this life and tells us what he did for us by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross. What a wonderful day it is to be with you today. And you know what? It doesn't matter who's sitting on the throne of the United States of America. And yes, I did say the throne of the United States of America, because guess what? We don't really live in a representative uh, republic anymore, do we? Because if we lived in a representative republic, we would elect people just like us to go get together and to make decisions at the national level. It doesn't work that way anymore. I don't know if you've been seeing what's coming out about, uh, I don't know if you've been following the election at all. I would not blame you one bit if you didn't. Because honestly, it's just, uh, it's the same thing over and over, it seems like. And it doesn't all make a difference anyway. The the people that I always root for, they're always gone by like the first two or three months of the election. Um, maybe that's because some of us actually pick people that have principles. And if you are going to run even for the House of Representatives or even even your state House of Representatives these days, you have to have people that have completely given up their principles at all levels and have sold out in order to get into those positions of power. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever wondered how it is that people get elected to the United States House of Representatives and they make uh, a few, a a couple hundred, or a little bit over $100,000 a year, I believe, in the House of Representatives. They go in being normal people with normal salaries and end up coming out multi- multi-millionaires, sometimes tens of millionaires or hundreds of millionaires. Uh, John Boehner, it comes out, is worth almost 10 million bucks. And this is a guy that has pretty much his entire life been in the House of Representatives. And somehow he became a millionaire and just bought an $800,000 house down in Florida so he can, I guess, retire and live in comfort and uh, tan his nice orange face um, 
uh, I guess it is hard to content down there. But how does that happen? Well, it's very easy to see how it happens. As a matter of fact, there's this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Maybe this is the first time you've heard of this guy. His name's Donald Trump. Now here, he's running around, and, and he's calling it like it is. And a lot of people like Donald Trump. And so he gets up there, and he says things like, yeah, I've given to both uh, parties, uh, uh, both politicians, because I needed to buy candidates. I needed to get stuff done, and that's the only way you can do it is by uh, giving money to both sides and uh, to Democrats and Republicans. You know what? That kind of sounds good on the face of it. But think about what underlies that statement and that mindset. Think about that for a second. He has just admitted in front of the entire country that he has bribed politicians and that he would not have been able to do anything he did without putting bribes down on politicians. Now, that may be New York politics. Folks, that may be politics all around the country. That may have always been politics, which I... I think it probably was. But wow, how have we gotten to the point to where people are actually willing to admit these things? There is no right or wrong in our country anymore. He says, yeah, I bribed him. Yeah, well, so what are you going to do about it? Now, I kind of like his, yeah, what are you going to do about it attitude? But I don't like the fact that he bought off politicians and he's admitting it. And he's uh, being open about it and forthright about it. I mean, I guess I can, I can honor that forthrightness. But the fact is, he is admitting that he has bought off politicians for personal favor so that he could grow his business. He says, well, everybody does it, and it's all necessary. That's, that's a problem. You know, one thing we have left in our country, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this during, during this broadcast. It's very important. One thing we have left is any sort of semblance of morality. In other words, what is right and what is wrong? You've got to think what has been the major discussion over the last few election cycles for president of the United States. What has it been? What has it been for now 20, 30 years? We're not talking about morals. We're not talking about, you know, uh, giving uh, young people the ability to uh, learn skills to make a living or, or even that right there is economic. But we're not talking about uh, making our country a place that would uh, that would be better morally or anything like that. No, what are we talking about? We're talking about economics. It's all about the money. You know, show me the money, I guess there's a famous movie quote or something like that. But that's what it's all about. Here these guys are coming out and uh and they're and they're playing that Trump card of economics. See what I did there? They're playing this uh this game to where it doesn't matter what the morals are. It's all about the economy. There was a famous uh politician that said a while back, I guess it was James Carville during the Bill Clinton years, who said, It's the economy, stupid. You know what? You could uh, have the worst, most vile things going on in society, and that's what we have today with regard to uh, sodomy uh, and the sodomite agenda and with regard to killing babies through the uh, process of abortion and, uh, and, and, this even, and, and tapes even going out, right, showing these Planned Parenthood people saying, yeah, I just need to sell a few more babies to get a Lamborghini or something like that. And that's what we see. We see this all over the place. We see this wickedness that has just permeated society. But I tell you what, you start to touch old uh, Joe the Plumber's pocketbook. Apologies to the actual guy who was Joe the Plumber. Uh, uh, the re average Joe, you touch his pocketbook, and that's when he's going to get all upset. Now, should we be upset about the government stealing from us? Uh, with 
without a doubt. And we shouldn't overlook that. I'm not one of these guys that says we have to focus on one thing at a time. We can't call it like it is over in this area because uh, we've got to take care of this area. That's what the Republicans do in Congress, right? They say, oh, yes, we have to uh, make sure that this omnibus uh, spending bill goes through and make sure that the highways are provided for. We can't deal with the fact that they are murdering babies and the U.S. government is actually giving an institution to do that because, you know, we can't we have to focus on the things we focus on. We can't focus on the fact that the government has required under the courts that we buy insurance for our health care insurance that does not even work. No, no, no. They can't be bothered with that. Um, they can't be bothered with the lack of freedoms because we have to pass this highway bill. This is our what we're focusing on. And we, folks, we can pay attention to it all. You know what? Wickedness is wickedness, whether it's in the highway bill or whether it's in killing babies in broad daylight in an institutional setting in order that a few may profit over the sales of body parts. Yeah, we can pay attention to it all. You see, we live in a day, folks, where, uh, where it's all about the money. You know, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. We may fill our pocketbooks up, but if this country continues to go down the avenue of depravity and immorality and pastors not standing and regular Christians not standing and, uh, and nobody standing up for righteousness, guess what? You've got a full pocket and you've got the curse of God upon the country. Now, just to put it a little bit plainly to you, that's what you got. So yeah, say we uh, say we decide that we want to, for instance, do away with the income tax. You know, I'm a hundred percent for that. I love the fact that uh, there are people out there that want to do away with the income tax. That is one of the more immoral taxes that you can place is a tax on somebody's labor. Another tax you could do away with. You could do away with the property tax. We should, in no way, shape, form, have to pay rent to the government just for the privilege of living on our own property that we buy. That is the most immoral tax. But folks, at the same time, we've got to pay attention to the dismemberment of babies. Hey, get on the Internet and look up some of this stuff. Look up and see what they're doing in those, uh, watch those videos that were put out by that organization in California. Check it out and see what they're doing to those babies. It all in the name of profit and filling their own pocketbooks. We can't overlook that just because we want to pay more attention to us having a bigger bank account and not having the government steal all of our money. We can't overlook those babies being butchered. We can't overlook sodomy running rampant and the recruiting of our children into their wicked, heinous, devilish, hellish lifestyle. Folks, we've got to pay attention to it all. We have entered a very dark period in our uh, in time because it's all around the country. You see, there's not really any single country anymore. They've all been kind of blended together. There's not really any any central uh, uh, nation. There's not really a, a uh, a, a people anymore because everything has all been blended together and everything's been put under the auspices of a world bank or a world court or all of these types of things. Folks, there will be a day when they will shut 
down this radio broadcast because the truth is spoken, where they will shut down this, uh, this station because the truth is spoken. And it's not that far into our future. We cannot, as the American people, continue to seek only ease and sleep at this time in history. We must stand up, and we must wage a war for righteousness' sake, and it begins by saying, no, you will not murder babies in this country anymore. Instead, it's all political expediency. I don't know, what would you pay? Would you cut your income in half if half of the, uh, if half of the Planned Parenthood um, organizations were shut down? What's it worth to you? What is the most important? You know, there was this discussion about Cruz looking at priorities in his presidency and he didn't include uh, sodomy in the top. He said that's definitely not one of the top three things and this type of thing. What are our priorities? That should really get us to think as we go into this new year, into this last year of the complete abomination that was the Obama presidency. That should cause us to think, what are our priorities? Are we going to strive for righteousness? Or is this all going to be an economic uh, seeking to keep more money in our pocket? Hey, listen, I want money in my pocket as much as, as, much as, as, much as the next guy. Money is a great tool. You can do things with it, like have a radio broadcast on the air, like have a, a radio station like Frank has here. You can do great things with money. You like have a vehicle so my wife can go and buy some groceries. You can, but we don't have to remain just focused on the economic issues of our time. We need to pay attention to what is important to God and what God sees as being the direction that this country needs to head. We are coming to a crucial point in history. We're here. We're right here. In fact, uh, in, uh, in 11 months, November of next year, we're going to see exactly where we are at. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we are further on the road to perdition than we are today. And it's a very sad thing. I want to talk to you today about, Lord willing, about, uh, about evolution. You think, well, this is something that's been beat to death. Of course, I believe the Bible and I don't believe in, in evolution, you might say to me as I speak about it. But uh, I received an article in the mail that actually my wife pointed out to me. It's from the Institute for Creation Research. I don't know if you are familiar with this organization. It was founded by Dr. Henry Morris. Dr. Henry Morris um, wrote one of the first books on the creation-evolution debate, and one of the first that I had ever seen. When I was a 19-year-old college student at Southeast Missouri State University studying geology, I ran into one of Henry Morris's books and one of Hugh Ross's books in the library at Southeast Missouri State University. And in there was my first realization after having totally given in to the evolutionary mindset because of the public school programming and because of the uh, uh, college programming that I was get, it was the first time I realized that there could be a God and that it was even arguable. 
you see uh, people who don't believe in evolution have always been cast as uneducated uh, idiots who, or, or dishonest at the very best and, and who don't understand anything about the evolutionary process. You've all been in these discussions where somebody looks down their nose at you and says, oh, you just don't understand. While I was in that class, there was one lady who was willing to stand up and to ask honest questions of the geology professor. And it was a, uh, it was a lady, I believe she was a, a Christian from the Middle East, because the questions that she asked uh, really stumped the geology professor. And it was through all of this that, that uh, the Lord began to take me on the road to where eventually I would meet the Savior, Jesus Christ, sitting at my desk in uh, Strawberry, Arizona, after I had gotten done with a day of work as a medical transcriptionist. And I had read the book of Romans and saw in there my need for a Savior, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart for the first time that day, telling me that I was lost, that my relationship was completely severed with God, and that I must believe on Jesus Christ in order to be able to live. I, I begged God not to kill me because I understood the condemnation of what my sin had done between me and my Lord and the fact that He had to punish that sin. But then Jesus Christ himself took that penalty on the cross for me. And, uh, but this was the beginning of the long road. I had always considered myself a, uh, a somewhat uh, a mindful young man with regard to science. And uh, my, my test scores always proved that, and I've always been interested in science. But this article came across from the Institute for Creation Research. This is from their Acts and Facts, their January 2016 magazine. You can sign up for the magazine for free at the icr.org website. And what an important article. One of the most important articles I have seen um, on the debate of evolution and how it affects us in America today. The, the name of the article, and it's written by Randy Juliusa. And I apologize to Randy if I mispronounce his name. But Randy Juliusa, he's an MD. He wrote this article entitled, Survival of the Fittest, Eugenics and Abortion. And this reminded me of something that I had come up with at a very early point in my ministry where uh, the evolutionary process was still very fresh to me, and I was becoming um, educated as to what the Bible had to say about creation and those types of things. And I'd like to share that with you a little bit today. But just as an early preview before we really get into this in the second half of the broadcast, I'm going to read a couple of quotes from this article, and then we'll jump in, and I want to show you what evolution is, and then what creationism is. But this is very important due to the segue that we have with abortion. Survival of the fittest, eugenics, and abortion. First article reads, or first paragraph reads this way, Western society's eugenics disaster of the early 20th century sought to weed out the unfit people seen as genetically dragging the human race down, it flowed from a survival of the fittest mentality. The U.S. Supreme Court punctuated this blunder with the Buck versus Bell decision, 1927, that effectively legalized eugenics practices. Though eugenics became widely stigmatized by the 1970s, a captivating fitness survival death mindset has endured. These death-fueled practices haven't missed a step following the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade 1973 decision that legalized abortion. The new eugenics 
Now, as we talk about this, folks, we have to understand that this is what underlies all of society. Business, medical, it's exactly where Obamacare came from. It underlies every aspect of our lives. And as a matter of fact, we may even fall uh, guilty or find ourselves guilty of having this particular mindset with regard to the survival of the fittest and how that relates to eugenics and abortion. So we'll be dealing with that a little bit in the second half of the broadcast. We're going to take a look at the root cause of eugenics. But uh, when we get to when we get through this article, which I want to go through some parts of it, we will then go and I want to show you what evolution is, how it is based on a faulty foundation. Because the fossil record, because of chance, because of empirical science, um, well, I want to show you that evolution ultimately is racist, and that this really is how it goes in with the eugenics um, with with the eugenics side note here, and uh, also evolution is humanist and is religion, and so we're going to go into all of these things in the second half of the broadcast, folks. During the break, if you're not already in there, go ahead and jump into that chat room. If you've got any questions that come up. I'll do my best to answer them. It's kind of hard to be on the radio at the same time and still reading the chat room, so I apologize if you all have asked me any questions in the meantime in there. But it's good to see Wayne Main in the chat room, LT, Jason B, that's me, Nanya, Andrew, The Watchman, and KJV Antioch, J1611. Good to see everybody in there. Folks, go to theamericanvoice.com, click on the button on the left-hand side that says chat, and jump in to the great discussion. I tell you, we do have the smartest chat room on radio. If you have not experienced it yet, go to theamericanvoice.com and jump into that chat room. Also, consider this. During the break, think about this. Really think about it. Think about giving to the American Voice Radio Network to keep this network on the air. There are so few, and you know this as well as I do, so few outlets for the truth that this is a good place for you to give and to keep this radio station on the air. And so uh, you can also check that out at theamericanvoice.com. Um, and go, just go around that whole webpage. You've got all sorts of live streams there. You've got all sorts of uh, news feeds. He, Frank does a great job with that webpage. All right, folks. Well, we'll be back right after this break. And uh, stay tuned. It'll just be a couple of moments. function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. 
farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system.
welcome back to the contenders for the voice. <laughs> no, try to read and get back on the radio broadcast at the same time. That is super professional right there. Welcome back to the contenders for the faith radio broadcast. And uh, thank you for staying with us through the break. Unfortunately, the man in the big squeaky chair, I can't give his introduction right now. I can tell you, though, that he has the cedars of Lebanon around his desk and uh, back behind his desk, the Library of Alexandria. Pastor Anthony Garissi was unable to be with us this evening. We think he may be froze to death in the grand state of Arizona, where there is a run currently on the Burlington Coat Factory. I'll tell you this, the uh, the Black Friday has nothing on Frozen Friday in Phoenix, Arizona. I guess they hit 32 degrees. I know this. I haven't heard from my brother who lives in Mesa, Arizona, either. It's kind of funny. Every time I talk to him from Indiana in the winter, he ends up getting the flu. And uh, just because of that, uh, you know, brushing contact. And for those of you folks in Southern California and Florida, um, you can uh, definitely pray for for those that are in 32-degree weather, uh, <laughs> us, our normal is actually less than that. Um, and we were a little bit warmer than that today. So we're, I, I should be thankful for this three days of rain that we had, that it wasn't snow. I don't know about you, LT, but uh, I think we probably would have gotten a couple of feet out of out of all this rain that we've been having out here in Union City, Indiana. Um, hey, just real quick, before we jump into the second half of the broadcast, we're, of course, talking about eugenics and abortion and um, the the humanistic backings of evolution during this hour. But before we get to that, I just want to send out uh, uh, an extra special shout-out to Andrew, who is in the chat room right now. He's unfortunately has found himself laid up there and just wanted to let you know, Andrew, that you are in our prayers for sure. And uh, we look forward to a good report from uh, some of the procedures that you have done in there. If you want to know what actually Andrew, he, he's talking back and forth in the chat room. So apparently they haven't, you know, taken his hands off or anything yet in the hospital. So if you want to know about that, you can actually jump into that chat room and chat with him and ask him questions about what I was just talking about. But uh, go to the AmericanVoice.com and click on chat and jump in there. Give yourself a super secret identity, hopefully a little more super secret than Andrew. Get a little creative. Of course, I'm Jason B. And uh, Frank, who, as always, I don't know, any of you guys in the chat room even see Frank in the roster? He just kind of shows up like a like a chat room ghost or something, just floats in there, and every once in a while you see him type something. And... Uh, yeah, it's kind of strange. But anyway, uh, Frank's in there as well. You definitely want to take advantage of the chat room. Regardless of what show you're listening to on the American Voice Radio Network, you will have the sharpest uh, folks in there able to answer your questions. And if you think you're sharp and if you think that you can educate people, um, here's a here's a crowd willing and, and waiting for you to be able to give you feedback on what you think. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is the sharpest chat room in radio. So you want to give it an opportunity and jump in there. Now we're talking about survival of the fittest, eugenics and abortion, an article written by Randy Guliuza, uh, uh, a medical doctor. And it was found in this month's edition of Acts and Facts. This is a, an extremely uh, good uh, publication put out by the Institute for Creation Research. You can go to their website, and I'm sure that this article is also in on their website at www.icr.org. 
That's www.icr.org, and this was the organization that was founded by uh, Dr. Henry Morris, who has gone home to be with the Lord. But we're just going to jump right back into it. We began by reading that eugenics became widely stigmatized in the 1970s. Um, The term eugenics did. It was obviously based on a racist principle, and it was exercised that way. And so, to a large degree, abortions and things like that, birth control, were aimed at minority uh, populations in order to keep them from populating more, because what eugenics is it is aimed Darwinism. So they were trying to improve the breeding stock of the human race by taking out undesirables. And that is, in a very short sentence, what eugenics was. They even went so far as to uh, sterilize large populations of people that they deemed to be undesirable. These were forced sterilizations. And yes, this happened in the United States of America, and it happened under the banner of science. Now, when you say science, the science is settled. Uh, we laugh at that now a little bit, but uh, certainly throughout the 1900s, science had a had a grasp on the American public with regards to being the uh, people that would give out the knowledge. Well, that's not what science says, or that's unscientific. Still has a, a very large meaning when you're talking about such things. But that's what eugenics was. It was just something that was it was a true-to-life acting out of Darwinistic principles. They believed that they were helping the human race to evolve to a, a point better than, uh, than they were by taking out these undesirables. And I'll tell you, this idea, this principle, and this manner of living by these scientists was really perfected and carried out on the largest scale in both the communistic nations, because they had thrown God out and they had decided that uh, they were going to only operate in the realm of atheism and reason, which is definitely a misnomer in this case, and also in the uh, in World War II with the Germans, of course, with Hitler also being one of the major proponents of eugenics to take out certain types of people out of the gene pool to create the master race. These were all based on the same ideals, the same principles, and they were all a completely a rejection of the Word of God. Um, there is a eugenics abortion link, and it happened very early. And I'm going to read to you a little bit more of this article. In keeping with the subterranean strategy, some eugenicists continued their work under the cover of non-eugenic disciplines and organizations, such as the birth control and population control movements. For example, the first administrator of the Population Council, a former president of the American Eugenics Society, recalled in 1974 that the post-war birth control and abortion rights movements were great eugenic causes, but if they had been advanced for eugenic reasons, it would have retarded or stopped their acceptance. Eugenic ideals such as racism, paternalism, scientific authority, and genetic manipulation did not disappear from the world and were arguably institutionalized in certain wings of the reproductive sciences. So that's where eugenics continues to live on, folks. It continues to live on through the quote-unquote reproductive sciences. Now, those are all just terminologies and words used to mean to take out certain undesirable um, certain undesirables in our society. Um, Like cancer, eugenics spread into another death-driven method of population control, abortion. 
The old eugenics regrew into the new eugenics with its atrocious history. How could this happen? Well, this uh, person that wrote this article, Mr. Guliuza, Dr. Guliuza, he says, while eugenics qualifies as a spectacular evolutionary blunder by all accounts, Professor Randolph Neese accurately does not point the finger at evolution in general, but specifically at Darwinian natural selection. Neese says most applications were medical Darwinism that focused on the welfare of the species. Now, it, this is what you see through Obamacare, isn't it? And uh, it was, when, uh, oh, what's her name, was talking about death panels, when that whole discussion was going on, and then it turned out that they actually do have death panels in Obamacare, and you see in the European countries where they're taking out the old people because they're too much of a drag on society, and um, you see all these things happen. That's what they, their main goal was, was to improve the species or make things better for certain uh, people who thought that they were superior. In connection with eugenics, this led to a moral and social disaster. Darwinism is predicated on death, eliminating unfit members from populations of creatures as they struggle to survive. That Darwinian selection is the root concept, nurturing eugenics, was unmistakably affirmed by a leading proponent during his heyday in 1927. In my own mind, and in growing number of, of other minds, civilization will end unless civilization can find a method for doing for itself what natural selection did for man during his ascent, ensuring that he shall breed only from his best. Uh, it just sends shivers up and down your spine reading this. The study of how it is possible, the study of how it is possible forms the subject matter of what we now term the science of eugenics. We have to replace the ruthless action of natural selection by reasoned conduct and civilized men. Think about what he just said there for a second. We have to replace the ruthless action of natural selection, and I would say not by the reasoned conduct and civilized men. And there we go, dropping that word reason again into the debate, because it's certainly unreasonable to think that you know people should take care of other people who are less able to take care of themselves. But no, he says that nature's ruthless in doing it, so why... Wouldn't they make that next step to say then that mankind would be ruthless in doing that? And of course they would make that step, but they thought that the cause was greater than the bad that they might do in killing large segments of society. Uh, the author of the article continues, that ruthless understanding of Darwinism continues unabated today and even in diverse realms. Notably, a recent article critical of the Amazon Corporation quoted a former human resources director claiming that the company implemented, quote, purposeful Darwinism, unquote. This referred to some employees as winners and others as losers who leave or are fired in annual staff cullings. You see this everywhere. Well, you've heard of the Darwin Awards, right? And so it is so ingrained in our society that there are going to be less desirables who are culled out of the population as humankind make, continues its, its ascent in the process of evolution. Unfortunately, those opposing eugenics, abortion, and euthanasia today often point at evolution as fostering these behaviors. But that blame may not be fully on target. Death-driven behaviors are tenaciously rooted in the survival or in the fitness survival death mindset that encompasses selectionist thinking. 
But those who embrace these ideas may not even realize this connection. By default, evolutionists must champion natural selection, because that's the driver of it, by the way. But various non-evolutionists profess to be big fans only. Indeed, even some Christians claim in language akin to eugenicists that natural selection, fueled, though fueled by death, helps the population by getting rid of genetic defects and thus preserves the viability of a population by removing those members with severely harmful or lethal characteristics. They believe this process somehow exhibits God's care for his creation in a post-fall world. That has gotten their minds so backwards that they now believe they are doing good and they are doing God's good by making sure that certain segments of society don't survive. It's interesting, isn't it, getting a view into the mind of what is going on in a neo-eugenicist uh, uh, in his mind or her mind. Um, it's, it's resurging today. And that's what the author of this article, he makes this point that a 2014 headline in a popular newspaper read, Let's Cautiously Celebrate the New Eugenics, written by a senior research fellow at the University of California, Davis. He describes a new form of eugenics applied through pre-birth genetic screening by medical experts. Genetics tests before or after conception may determine if an unborn child might have a serious disorder. Preventing genetic diseases is one end of a continuum that leads to dreams of genetically enhancing humans at the other end. Predictably, evolutionist Richard Dawkins dared ask the eugenics reviving question, why is it acceptable to train fast runners and high jumpers but not to breed them? He adds, but hasn't the time come when we should stop being frightened even to put the question? Today's eugenicists, as explained in the eugenic impulse, still think that crafting humanity using evolutionary methods is noble. And he goes on to, to quote some books and, and things like that. And you can actually get online and read this article. if uh, You can find it at the Institute for Creation Research website, www.icr.com. .org. You know, one of the biggest attacks on Christianity in the last 150 years, and it's almost a complete total warfare against Christianity, has been the theory of evolution. Let's do something for a second. Let's just disregard theistic evolutionists. They are such a minority, and I think that many of them are simply closing their minds to the fact that they've got to make a decision between evolution and creation. And I know there would be many that would argue vociferously and probably write books against that statement, but that's fine. You're such a minority, nobody will ever read your book anyway. But one of the biggest attacks on Christianity certainly has been the theory of evolution. It's also been one of the most effective attacks. We're going to make a cursory comparison during the last few minutes we have in this show of evolution and creation, showing what evolution is and what creation is. Now, obviously, with the time that we have left, we're not going to be able to get through this entire thing, but I want to tell you that evolution is based on a faulty foundation. Darwin stated this regarding the fossil record. Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain, and this perhaps is the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory. The explanation lies, as I believe, in the extreme imperfection of the geological record. So he believed that 
the why we don't see transitionary fossils are because we simply haven't dug as much as we were going to and have seen as much things that are in the ground as are there. Um, and as time got, went on, the uh, evolutionists realized, hey, we are not finding any transitionary fo fossils. In fact, they never did find transitionary fossils. And by the time you get to the 1970s, and a biologist by the name of Stephen Jay Gould, who actually read his book prior to being a Christian and still thought it was ridiculous, even though I, I didn't, uh, didn't believe in God or, or didn't even care if God existed. I guess I was kind of an agnostic. But uh, he came up with this idea of punctuated equilibrium, where uh, great distances of evolution happen in an extremely short period of time, and that's how we describe the fact that there are not any transitionary fossils. And uh, obviously that is, is extremely ridiculous. Colin Patterson, this was a senior paleontologist at the British Museum of Natural History. They have the world's largest fossil collection, over 60 million specimens, and it's probably much more now. Um, if I knew of any evolutionary transitions, fossil or living, I would certainly have included them in my book, Evolution. Colin Patterson, senior paleontologist, had never seen a transitionary fossil. David Raup, curator of the um, Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, he says this, we are now about 120 years after Darwin. Obviously, he this was many years ago, and the knowledge of the fossil record has been greatly expanded. We have, now have a quarter of a million fossil species, but the situation hasn't changed much. We, we have fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. Now, that is very revealing. He said we have fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. That was 120 years after Darwin, and he's, and he's admitting to the fact that many of them were made up in Darwin's time or misinterpreted in Darwin's time. And now he had a much larger body to pull from and he had not seen any transitionary fossils. But the fossil record is not the only thing that causes evolution to be put on a faulty foundation. Um, also chance. Now, many of you who are uh, mathematicians possibly have heard of Jacques Minaud. He was a Nobel Prize winner. He said this about um, evolution. He said, chance alone is at the source of every innovation of all creation in the biosphere. Pure chance absolutely free but blind is at the very root of the stupendous edifice of evolution. Okay, well, let's take this into account, though. The probability of a single protein molecule being arranged by chance is 1 in 10 to the 161st power. You do realize how big of a number that is. Using all the atoms on Earth and allowing all the time since the world began, it's 1 in 10 to the 161st power. That's even if you say that the world was around 4 billion years. That is the chance that these protein molecules arranged themselves and became living organisms. Chance cannot be the determining factor. You know, mathematicians put things out of the realm of probability at the odds of 1 to 20. And this was 1 to 10 to the 161st power. We're talking about 1 to 1 with 162 zeros behind it. Chance cannot be the foundation upon which they rest any reality of their of their theory. And yet that is what they say. That is how they say that everything came about, that everything came from nothing. Yeah, ultimately you have to get back to that point. There was a documentary a few years ago that was, uh, that was done by Ben Stein where he's interviewing Richard Dawkins. And he actually gets Richard Dawkins to admit that, uh, yeah, it really couldn't have had come about by chance. 
because maybe the aliens seeded the earth and that's where we all came from. And so there has to be an origin. And what he admitted there was that intelligence had to be applied in order for us to become to exist on the planet earth. They don't even see their own inconsistencies, do they? Um, But not only the fossil record, not only chance, but empirical science. They want us to believe that uh, the theory of evolution actually goes contrary to revealed laws of science. Nothing comes from nothing. This is something that we know, and yet this is at the very basis of evolution. The law of energy conservation. Empirical, this is an empirical law of science that says that while energy can be changed from one form to another, it can neither be created nor destroyed. If this is the case, ask the nearest scientist, where did everything come from? It was commonly accepted by scientists that spontaneous generation occurred up to uh, a certain point. The medieval theory of spontaneous generation stated that you could make something from nothing. This was proven untrue through an easy experiment using meat, jars, and cloth. The flies could not get into the jar with the cloth on top of it, and nothing would grow in the jar. Something living uh, life has to come from life. And uh, you can't go, you can't just keep extending the time back and uh, moving the goalposts to say, well, it just took a little bit longer for nothing to come to nothing, because that goes against the laws of science. The second thing, uh, second law of empirical science, of course, is the law of entropy, or the second law of thermodynamics. Um, All things tend to decay. Everything runs from complexity to decay. In fact, Sir Arthur Addington stated, if your theory is found to be against the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, I can give you no hope. There is nothing for it but to collapse in deepest humiliation. According to the law of entropy, energy does not increase in complexity, but it rather runs in a downhill course toward chaos. Evolution, therefore, could not be true due to its pointing toward an increased specialization and complexity from a simple one-celled organism. And the evolutionists will all stand up and raise their hands and start shouting at this point and say, but that's in a closed system. Add energy from the sun and you'll get something. Unfortunately, order does not come through added energy. It's like telling your kid to go clean their or It's like looking at your kid's room. It's a mess. And then that room being struck by lightning. The stuff doesn't magically leap to where it belongs on the shelves. The clothes don't fold themselves. You don't end up with an increased order with the addition of energy. We know from science that if you add energy, such as a tornado to a trailer park, that that does not make a high-rise building. It doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. Because there are basic laws of science that evolution goes against. I can shout that all day long. And those evolutionists and those scientists will just say, ah, but you don't understand. Well, what I do understand is that you're violating laws of science in order to get your idea of something that has uh, has just come about all on its own, according to you. And that, to me, is the worst kind of blind faith I have ever heard of. All right, folks, thank you for listening to the Contenders for the Faith Radio broadcast. Stay tuned for Melissa Roxanne. I promise you she won't promote evolution on the next show. Lord bless you. Have a good night. Show.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, AVR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189 and our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We are broadcasting live from the foothills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is December 18, 2014.
Saints, the world is in turmoil. Most just don't realize it, but we are in the time of the end. And that's the time before Messiah's glorious return. So it's time to get out of sin, the world, and look to the holy city. Look to the one who suffered and died for you. Please make this choice tonight. If you need help after the program, call me. I'll pray for you or with you. If you get the machine, please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, and or message. The phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682. And an emergency, because we are here for you, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886. You can always find updates with the breaking news, our ministry, radio program archives, and our mailing address all over to our blog, which is very simply com. Now, technically, I guess you're supposed to put www in front of that, but if you just Google com, you would find it. Anyway, our program archives can be found over there um, at com. And if you go to the right-hand column, when you get to that page, scroll down, there's a thing that says End Time Radio Archives. Click on that. It'll take you to all the radio archives. Bo, it is very smartphone-friendly. In fact, at our archives, they have an Android app and an Apple app. So you can download that to your smartphone. And I understand that about 50% of the people that listen to radio nowadays listen on their smartphone. And remember, both uh, ProfCR.com is also very, very smartphone-friendly. Okay, and I guess if you're smart enough to use a smartphone, I guess it's like carrying around a little computer with you is what it is. Anyway, let's say a prayer, and we'll bring on tonight's guest. Dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua HaMashiach's name, I pray. Father, I just pray that radio tonight goes according to your will and not my will and not necessarily our guest will, but what you want to come out, Father, in Yeshua HaMashiach's name, amen and amen. Well, police shoot on, on our man in Phoenix. Really? Another one? Tonight, we bring back on with us Pastor Carl Gallops. Carl's a former Florida law enforcement officer and best-selling author, pastor, national radio talk show host. And Carl says not so fast. He seems to think that the talking points don't match the facts. So we're going to bring Carl on and see what that he has to say about this and just generally hear out of him. Are you there with us, Carl? I am. Uh, Pastor Dan, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a, an honor and a, and a pleasure to be with you, my brother. Okay. Well, before we go into anything, I want to kind of pick at you a minute. Um, first thing yeah. is uh, let's 